get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Playoff teams, especially World Series winning teams, there's no lead that's safe. Leans into this, out to left, gone into the bullpen. Cardinals check in with a two-run home run. Big chopper, softly hit. This game is tied. Swanson has to eat it, and we're even at five. This game is over. A ninth inning come from behind, walk-off win for the Cardinals. We're pretty good about where we're at. We are taking it one series at a time. This was a step in that direction. Uh, our goal is to be the last team standing, and um, we got to beat teams like the one we just beat in order to do that. We got all the ability in the world to beat with those guys over there, compete for a World Series championship as well. So that's what we intend to do. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and ESPN last night, alongside Alexa Dad, who is in for Alex Ferrario, who's taking, I think, his sixth week of vacation this year. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. A huge weekend once again for the Cardinals. We talked on Friday, Alexa, about what this series was going to mean for the Cardinals going up against a legit World Series competitor in Atlanta. They passed every test that I could have had for them. I know Friday didn't go well, but we can set that to the side for a second. You come back in both of the wins over the weekend. You have a huge inning to walk that one off on Saturday. And then last night, one of the more entertaining games of the season for me. And you find a way to overcome your closer coming in in a big spot. We'll get into that here in a little bit. And you find a way to win. That's exactly what this team was looking for against the Braves, winning two out of three. And you've now won 23 of your last 30 games, have the Cardinals. A playoff type atmosphere. The place was going insane. You saw some things out of guys that you really haven't seen this season. And we'll get into that, too. Like Lars Newtbar, Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill. These guys coming through in huge spots for this team. I thought for me going into the weekend, If they were going to get swept by the Braves, that was going to be a problem. They needed to win the series to really feel good about themselves. That's where I was, too. I I said on, I think it was Friday, we gave like predictions for the series. And I said, if you take two or three, you belong in tier two with all the NL contenders. I mean, you look at tier one, clearly the Dodgers. You look at tier two and it was the Braves and it was the Mets. And And I said, this is where you're going to see what the Cardinals peak is without Jack Flaherty. And this weekend they showed it. They had resiliency offensively. Yeah, that first game was not very good, but you got decent pitching in the final game of it. The bullpen, we saw Ollie, how he managed that. And you got kind of what the Cardinals were using as kind of their best lineup in the weekend, in my opinion. And you saw one player 
potentially break out and Tyler O'Neill. Maybe he's got it going after having three walks in the series, having two home runs in the series. So all around, yeah, they passed every test. And to me, they've bumped up from tier three to tier two, and they're now seriously considered as a World Series contender now. 65780 is your comfort service text line. I want to hear from our listeners today as well. And the mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Are you buying into the card? They've won 23 of their last 30 games. And are you with Tanner? Are you even beyond what Tanner just said? Do you think that they're in the same conversation with the Dodgers? 23 out of the last 30 games. That is the second best winning percentage in baseball since July 27th. They are scoring an average of six runs per game in that stretch. That's second in baseball. They're allowing 3.8 runs per game in this stretch. Top 10 in Major League Baseball. Your offense has an 870 OPS as a team over your last 30 games. Anything that I had questions about with this offense going into the last six weeks or so, those questions have been answered and they've been answered by basically everybody. You look up and down this offense right now, Albert Pujols, Nolan Arnauto, Paul Goldschmidt, Corey Dickerson, Andrew Kisner, all of those guys over the last six weeks have an OPS above a thousand guys that have an OPS over 800 in this stretch. Lars Newpar, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. I mean, I just named half your damn roster yeah, and they're all hitting almost above what I would have expected for them, including some of the MVP candidates on this team. So the offense is performing at an incredibly high level. You got some big time contributions over the weekend out of Tyler O'Neill, which was a real question mark going into the weekend. And now you got a big performance yesterday out of Wayno. You're starting to figure out what the roles are in your bullpen. This stuff's coming together. I'm with Tanner. I think that the Dodgers are in a level on on their own right now. Sure. I, I don't think anybody else is in that same tier with them. But you want to talk about that second grouping of teams with the Mets, the Braves. I think the Cardinals are now in that group. I think those are the three that right now for me are battling for contention of, okay, who's the best challenger to the Dodgers in the National League right now? I didn't have the Cardinals in that category before the weekend. I think I now do. It's hard for me not to have them there at this point. Well, especially because they just bested the Braves, a team that you would have had in that category Mm -hmm. possibly going into the weekend. It was such a dangerous lineup that they faced, and the fact that they took care of business was huge. And to me, this series says a lot, too, because... Their next stretch of games is not against contenders. They play three against Cincinnati, three against the Cubs, four against the Nationals, three against Pittsburgh, two against Milwaukee, and five versus Cincinnati. Nowhere in there are you going to be able to say this series is a big one for us to be able to test ourselves. That was this weekend, and they proved themselves beyond measure. The fact that the offense came through, the pitching was on point, it felt like... And, and this has all been going on since the trade deadline when the organization said, we believe in what we have here. The first half, yes, there were some ups and downs, but mainly we saw some really good pieces. The fact that we needed to inject two more starters, give you guys what you need to win. It really boosted the energy completely in the clubhouse. It changed the mentality of guys. Um, different players that were struggling now found ways to say, you know what, I'm going to find how my swing needs to be fixed, corrected in order to compete now with everyone else in this lineup because this team is so deep so everyone wants to contribute and that's a good point from alexa bringing up the schedule because you're not going to learn anything over the next three weeks until you not get to that good. yeah yeah that's true you might learn something bad but hopefully that doesn't come to about because they should take care of business in all these series the next three weeks you're not really going to learn a whole lot but the big thing for me this weekend was the fact of the matter that the pitching had become the team's identity when you're looking at it as a whole i mean you go and acquire montgomery you go and acquire quintana the rotation stabilizes and you could see the success i mean the rotation's been really good since the trade deadline and then the pitching wasn't what you were expecting. Quintana got roughed up on Friday. 
Montgomery got kind of roughed up on Saturday. Wainwright was himself, so that was what was expected. But then the offense coming through. I know they didn't come through Friday, but I didn't expect them to score 12 runs, to be frank. So the offense coming through for me is such a big sign for this team because we've been talking about it all year long, that they seem to be missing that one extra bat to help Goldie and Arnado. And the guy coming up big was Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill had the big series. You look at Donovan. Donovan's playing really well getting on base. Newpar had a really big series. I mean, the home Newbar run last went night. Oppo. He hit his yeah. first opposite field home run. What are we talking about here? Lars Newpar going oppo. Everyone he believes. He thought it was a foul ball the whole time, too. Amazing. I've never done this before. That's definitely going foul. <laughs> that was so incredible. It's like these guys are finding themselves because the organization said, we believe in you. Now it's like, okay, we believe in ourselves, too. And Kisner coming through as well. Let's not forget. I mean, that was a huge home run for him on Saturday coming up with the two-run shot that really brought the Cardinals back into that game because I'll be honest Saturday well, they, they were down to, Once they said to Kisner you can pitch that means they said to him you can do anything. That's so fair. he was like I also again believe in myself. The the Kisner home run I, I'll be honest I told BK this because we were both at the game Saturday as fans and I thought that game was over because I think it was 4 nothing at the time and I was like man this offense doesn't seem like it's got anything going tonight and then Kisner hits a two run home run and then just from there that's when the series went on its head because that's when they took off from that game. And then last night, you get going with Newpar hitting the opposite field home run to end the no-hitter. I mean, that's just an impressive offensive showing and showing some grit to have comeback victories against one of the best teams in the National League. Yeah, all, Adam Wainwright was asked about that last night, their, their ability to come from behind, because it was something that there would be games in the first half of the season where they'd be down like three to one. The offense wasn't getting anything going, and you kind of knew how it was going to go. They were just going to lose that one three to two or something, and it was going to uh, go off into the sunset, and that was going to be it. That's changed in the second half. There's something different about the feel of the team right now. Here's Wayno on that feeling that they have inside of the clubhouse right now. For a little while there, we had this thing where, you know, we fell behind and fell like, oh, shoot, we're going to lose, you know, and uh, we needed to kick that in the butt, and so we did. Um, I think we, we all had to look at ourselves in the mirror and, and realize we're a good team. You know, we're, we need to play better, and we need to play better when we're behind sometimes, you know, and, and just be tougher. And uh, we had this the same conversation last year too. We, sometimes you just gotta, you know, you just gotta look at yourself and be a little tougher. It's a long season; every team goes through things like that. Um, but uh, you know, playoff playoff teams, especially World Series winning teams, there's no lead that's safe. You know, everybody feels like they're gonna come back all the time. That's where we are right now. Legitimate contenders win those games that the Cardinals won over the weekend. Yes. Teams that are fighting to make the playoffs, they find a way to lose those games. And that's what feels different about the Cardinals right now. It has the vibe. I, I compared this series going into the weekend to last year. It was the 2011 10-year reunion. Mm-hmm. Cardinals were playing against the Padres. Tyler O'Neill has a huge moment on Saturday as they're honoring the team, ends up winning that game. And you, you leave that series feeling like, okay, Maybe the Cardinals can do something this year. Like all year felt like they were just dead, dead upon arrival. And then suddenly it it felt like there was something there. The Cardinals now do not feel dead upon arrival. Like this team feels like it's more than just a, okay, eh, get to the playoffs. We'll see what they can do once they get there. After this series against Atlanta and seeing what they were able to do in those come from behind victories in particular, that's the kind of thing you're going to need to do in the playoffs. You're going to go up against a starter that shuts you down that shouldn't for five innings. And you've got to find a way to get him out of the game. You get to the bullpen. You find the relievers that are the underbelly of that bullpen and you expose them. And that's what the Cardinals were able to do. Even on Friday, I got to give the Cardinals a lot of credit for this. They lost. They got their butts whipped. That's fine. But at the end of that game, they made Snitker go to other relievers in a big spot. They made him get 
in the ninth inning, Kenley Jansen up. He mm-hmm. started warming up. And then on Saturday, you get Jansen in the game. I think he was legitimately rattled because of the crowd. And then he gives that one up. Those are the kinds of things that World Series contenders do. And you didn't see a whole lot of that from the team last year outside of that 17-game winning streak. This is before we saw that 17-game winning streak last year. They are hitting their stride starting right around when the Braves did last year. And that's what makes this so unique to me is you're, you're seeing a team that about 100 games into the year figured out who it was as a team. We broke down the numbers on Bally Sports Midwest and the first half of the season, innings one through three, the Cardinals offense was on fire. Four through nine, dead in the water. Interesting. And that's how basically the template for the first half of the season went offensively for the Cardinals, give or take, obviously, some games. Second half, they have more comeback wins than almost anyone in baseball. So for them to find this resiliency later on in games in the second half, and yes, a lot of people say the Cardinals are a second half team. That's fine for me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Better than being a first half team. That's the Padres right. have been really good at being a first half team That's over right. the last That's years. That's exactly what you want to see. And they're all putting it together in the biggest way. I loved, I talked to Tommy Edmond recently and he was in a bit of a slump and his demeanor, even though he was slumping, because when I talked to guys in the clubhouse in the first half who had some trouble hitting, you could tell that there was an energy deficiency, right? Their mood had changed. There was a different vibe. I just talked to Tommy Edmond recently, came up to me, big smile. Hey, Alexa, what's going on? Tommy, got to talk to you, slumping a little bit. What's the strategy here? How do you fix it? He had a plan. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He needed to go back, check the swings when it was working, compare that video to now, uh, goes back and forth between that, sets his pregame routine. And he was able to articulate it so well that when I approached him, he knew what I was going to ask and he had an answer ready for me. Because he had already figured it out himself. Because these guys, because the energy is great in the clubhouse, are talking to each other, are watching videos together, are helping each other out. I mean, you see him in the dugout talking constantly, handing off the iPad, pointing things out to each other that they may not have seen themselves. The the vibe that they're working together with is really impressive. I gotta live, gotta give a lot of credit both to the players because they're the ones that actually have to go out and do it. Yeah. But also to the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, you've seen this year, whether it be on the pitching side of things, Mike Maddox, the two deadline acquisitions, they've changed a little bit with what they're seeing from Stratton, and it's been mixed results. But the one that we've all talked about is Jordan Montgomery mm-hmm. going to the four-seam fastball. It's completely changed who he is as a pitcher, and now he's got more swing and miss stuff. Jose Quintana, third time through the order, not so great. But the first two times has been excellent since he's been here in St. Louis. I give a lot of credit to the coaching staff for that. And then, as you mentioned, the adjustments that we're seeing at the plate. Last year, first half of the season in particular, not a whole lot of that adjusting <laughs> at the plate. And speaking of Tommy Edmond, he called that out in a postgame press conference midway through the year. This year feels a little different with all of that. And I've got to give credit to Ollie, give credit to Jeff Albert for making adjustments that were necessary as they talked about in the offseason and giving credit to the players for actually putting those to uh, out there onto the field. Speaking of Ollie Marmel, we got to talk about him on the other side, because I think this was a big test over the weekend. He went up against a World Series manager, a championship manager. And I think he passed the test with flying colors. We'll talk about what we saw from Ollie and hear more from you guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Are you guys believing in this team after what we saw from them over the weekend? Alexa Dat in for Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
When we were in the car, you know, driving back to the hotel after that game the other night, the conversation in the car was, okay, who does Ali remind you of as the manager? For me, it was Alex Gore and Kevin Cash. I was really impressed in my my first uh, run through seeing the Cardinals with him at the helm. That was Buster Olney joining us. I think that was back in June talking about who Ollie Marmol as a manager reminds him of. He said Alex Cora and Kevin Cash, pretty good managers yep. to be compared to. And alongside Alexa Dat of Bally Sports Midwest, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Ollie Marmol, I think, was at the center of any of our conversations going into the weekend. This is a real test. You're going up against Brian Snitker. They both, both teams needed this series. The Braves are in the midst of a big time division race against the Mets. I think there were as many Mets fans watching this series over the weekend as there were Cardinals fans. Good point. So Brian Snitker managed this weekend as if it was a playoff series. I think the same was true from Ollie Marmel. Guys, I felt like Ollie Marmel matched step by step with Brian Snitker over the weekend. And I actually think in some ways he outmanaged Snitker yesterday, even though some of the decisions uh, didn't go the way that Ollie certainly wanted them to at this point in the year. And listen, maybe I'm just a homer. Cause I, I really like the way that Ollie goes about his things. I, I think Ollie is no longer considered to be any sort of a liability going into the playoffs. I think Ollie can be an asset for this team. I think he's somebody that I understand he's young. He doesn't have a ton of experience. I get all of that. And there are questions that come alongside it. I think Ollie going into the playoffs is one of the guys that I trust. And there's not a ton of managers that I can say that about in the national league or in baseball at large. I think he gives you an advantage going into most of these series that you're going to be playing in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. And I think in big series, he ends up coming out the MVP because he makes moves and decisions based on, first of all, information that he has, whether a guy's healthy, how he feels. The biggest thing that Ali does for this team is he communicates above and beyond a level that I have never seen before from a manager in baseball. And that allows him to make moves to use different guys in matchup situations, right? They don't have an everyday leadoff hitter that they feel really comfortable with every single day. He's the guy atop the lineup because Ali says, we're going to use matchups. We're going to have our one, two, anyone above Arnato and Goldschmidt in the lineup is going to be based on matchups. Okay. Well, how's that working out for you? It's working out well because he communicates with his guys to be able to say, hey, today you're off. How's it looking this week? He sits down with Ryan Housley. How are you feeling? We're going to give you eight games off because I know your wife just had a baby. All of that is so important. Uh, Nolan Arnato, by the way, a bunch of girl dads on the team now. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Big dad energy this weekend from Arnato and Helsley. But the fact that he's able to give these guys what they need, that's how baseball has evolved. Back in the day, it was you're going to do whatever we want. We're not going to talk to you about it. We're going to keep the doors closed. You just go out there and perform. And that worked for players back in the day. But because baseball and life in general has evolved, Ali has evolved with it. And that evolution is so important for this team because these guys communicate with each other, with their families, with their friends so often. So to have this disconnect where they wouldn't really communicate that much with their manager seems off, right? It's like when you have a boss who maybe back in the day, bosses kind of left people alone. They were hands off. Now bosses are a little bit more communicative, open door policy. Let me know what you need. Uh, That is so pivotal to the mental aspect of this game, which we know is a crucial part. It helps these guys be able to understand what the team needs from them, how they can contribute, Are they going to have a day off? Okay, why? And that's all explained to them in explicit detail. 
And it's something that they credit time and time again when you talk to them in the clubhouse that Ali Marble and Skip Schumacher, Mike Maddox, too, all go out there and do really well. Yeah, having those moments of honest truth and throwing out the lineup that he truly believes in. I mean, a lot of times, like last year, if you had Carlson struggling like you have this year, I believe Carlson would still be in the lineup trying to work it out. And Ollie's not doing that. Ollie says, okay, we have to put him on the bench. We're going to go. I said heading into the weekend, they're going to show you what their basic best lineup is this weekend. There's no longer going to be seeing if guys are right. They didn't start DeYoung the weekend, and they didn't start uh, Carlson until last night. And then even then, they ended up... uh, he he went over three. He had three strikeouts, but they brought O'Neill back in the game later on. I thought Ollie managed this weekend perfectly. The thing I was really going to see what he did was one: how's he going to utilize Albert Pujols? Because I knew he wasn't going to start. I didn't think he'd start. He started against uh, Strider on Friday. I didn't think he was going to start the rest of the games in the weekend though, because it was all right-handed pitchers. How's he going to utilize him? And I liked the way that he utilized him, bringing him for left-handed matchups in Saturday's game and Sunday's game. I thought he managed that perfectly. And how's he managed the bullpen? The only thing that I questioned over the weekend was going back to Hicks for a second inning, and that ended up working out well. So I liked what I saw from Ali Marmol. I don't think he's going to be a negative asset in the playoffs. I think he is going to be a guy that is going to go up against the best managers in baseball and give you a fighting chance. Like, you could see the chess pieces last night. Um, I I don't think uh, Ali outmanaged Snicker last night. I think both managers played their hands perfectly, and it just didn't work out for both of them. And then it ended up really biting Snitker because I like the idea of him using Albert in, what was it, the sixth or seventh inning last night when that spot was clearly there to use him. And I know you get the pop out. And then turning to Helsley where you're going to him for the heart of the order yep. with your best high leverage reliever, and it didn't work out. And then I'm thinking, I think I said this to you in the press box last night, BK. I said, I think that this now plays into the favor of Snicker. Snicker's going to be able to lay out his hand. He laid it out. It didn't work out. Both managers played this weekend really well. You saw Ollie can go with the best of the best with Brian Snitker. So... I thought Saturday was an interesting game when it came to the managing. So you get into the top of the six. Let's go through this real quick. You got Montgomery on the mound. He walks Contreras. And you're down five to four at that point in time. Montgomery's been getting hit pretty hard. They had a harder contact against Montgomery than we've seen from any other team against him so far since he's come over to the Cardinals. Which is what you're going to see with a team that hits fastballs really well. And and Montgomery is a lefty, and the Braves are one of the best teams in baseball against lefties. Against lefties, yep. So then what do you do? Where, Where do you go in that spot? Because your bullpen was used pretty heavily on Friday night. So what do you do? You got a big spot coming up. You got Grissom, Harris, and Grossman coming up against you. What's he do? Goes to Jojo Romero, who was just called up, what, a week ago? Yep. And he's already getting thrown into a big spot. And all he's done this, we've seen this with him, where he'll give some give guys opportunities and low leverage spots, and they, they pitch well. And then eventually, we saw this with Polante earlier this year. He says, you know what? I trust this guy. He's, he's working his way into the group that I trust in big moments. I think Jojo Romero is doing that right now. And part of it was what he did on Saturday. Comes in, one on, no outs. What's he do? Line out, strike out, strike out. Get you out of that inning clean. You're down five to four instead of that getting uh, them advancing the lead even further. And then you get later on into the game. And it's the top of the eighth inning. What are you going to do there? Jordan Hicks had just come out for the last inning, and he explained this yesterday to us, Tanner. I thought he did a really good job in doing so. He said, listen, there's some conversation there. Do we go to Helsley? Do we go to Gallegos? Or do we stick with Hicks for the second inning? The reason why they stuck with Hicks for that inning is because they knew he was going to be unavailable on Sunday either way. So is it better to go to Hicks there for that second inning when they trusted him to be able to get out of it and get the most out of him possible? Or... Do we go to one of those other guys and potentially burn them for either Sunday's game or going into Monday? They decided to go with Hicks in that second inning. It worked out for him. It ended up being the good, the best decision as a result of that. And then you get into the bottom of that inning. Mm-hmm. 
And he decides to just say, you know what? Bleep it to our bench. We're going for it right here. Got a lefty on the mound. O'Neal flies out. And then you go to Carlson because that's his spot, right? You got a lefty on the mound. This is when he can potentially do some damage. He singles to right center. Then you go to pools hitting for Kisner, which a lot of a lot of managers would not do in that spot because they don't want to burn their catcher there. He decides to go to pools. Big spot against the lefty. That's what he's here for. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. It did, They didn't end up scoring runs in that spot. But that is the correct way to manage that situation. And then you go to Sunday and you've got Helsley going up. And I know that people question the decision. The biggest spot of the order is the top of the order for the Braves right now. And you got Swanson coming up. You've got Riley coming up in that inning. And with one on. He decides to go to his best pitcher against the heart of their order. Didn't work. Swanson hits a homer, but he made the right call in a big moment and he made the gutsy call. You know how many managers would have in that spot just said, you know what? I'm going to go to Gallegos because Gallegos is the guy that gets the spot. My closer gets the ninth inning. Gallegos, when we're down three to two or when we're up two to nothing right now, this is a spot where Gallegos is supposed to come to get this final out and then he comes back out for the eighth inning. He went with his best dude. And I love that about Ollie is he is he is not afraid to go out there and make a move that could come back to bite him. And if it does, he's going to explain it in the postgame as to why he did it. I thought Ollie was great this weekend. And I, I do think he outmanaged Snitker. Snitker has very strict roles. And when Mincer came into the game, I understand why he did it yesterday in the eighth inning. He comes out for Edmund. You're trying to get through that spot. It burns you. Ed, Edmund hit the homer yeah, there. Yeah. You got Newt Bar coming up, so you got lefty-lefty, which is a good matchup for you as a manager. And then you've got Donovan coming up. Again, lefty-lefty. I was shocked he sucked with him at that point in time. Absolutely shocked. You've got yeah. a lefty now coming up against Goldie and Arenado. Now it worked. <laughs> they both ended up not coming through in that spot, but he then still sticks with him. And Tyler O'Neill finally is able to put the finishing touches on that one for the Cardinals. I just, I, I thought Ollie outmanaged Brian Snitker over the weekend. And if you told me going into that weekend that that would be a possibility... Man, I would feel really good about where the Cardinals are from a coaching perspective going into the playoffs. And, and to your point on going and getting, going to Helsley last night in that spot, what I found most impressive about it, and it, a lot of people say, well, this is an easy thing. Yeah, it's an obvious call. No, a lot of managers stick with Adam Wainwright in that spot. That's the ace of your rotation. That's the guy that's been in the organization since the early 2000s. And Ollie has the guts to go out there, pull your best pitcher, which is the right call, I agree, and go to your highest leverage spot. I know last year there were times where we'd say, okay, is Shilk going to go get Adam Wainwright here? No, he's going to stick with his veteran. Now, part of that is, too, you didn't have a healthy Ryan Helsley. You didn't have a guy like that. You had Alex Reyes like that in the first half. Second half, you didn't have a guy that elite with that kind of stuff like Ryan Helsley does. But the fact that he's able to go out there, talk to the ace of the pitching staff, and say, hey, we've got you. I need to go to my, this is my best move right now. And yeah, it didn't work. But if it works out, we're talking about a completely different game. Cardinals probably win that game 3-2 to two, or they end up going on to win that game 6-2. to two. It also says a lot about Ryan Helsley's mentality that he's able to pitch on back-to-back days. He came into the game and basically closed it out. This dude is nine and one on the season. Like that that's like starter numbers to some guys he has around more the league. wins on the season now than uh uh Michaelis does. I, I think. I think he's got nine and I think Michaelis last I checked at eight. I think he might have I think they might be tied. But Helsley has wins in three straight appearances for the first time in his career. He's the first Cardinals reliever with three straight since two thousand six. That's Jeez. going back a long time. A good year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you go back and you see like this is a guy that is able to give you those high leverage innings. So why save him when maybe you won't get there yep. later on in the game? So having Helsley to be able to come into that game, I mean, people are like, well, he's your closer. No, he's not. 
He's just, he's not. That's not the uh, correct definition for him because he's more than that for this team. He's the high leverage guy. And that says way more about Helsley because he has such amazing velocity. That ball movement is wild at times uh, and, and you love to see it. So for him to come in the game in a situation where Ali needs him the most and counts on him, he gets up for moments like that. And yes, obviously it doesn't work all of the time. It's not perfect. But when it does work, as we've seen so many times, I mean, I think he's only given up four home runs this season. The dude has an ERA wildly under one. So he's able to perform for this team in every situation that they've asked of him. And that he doesn't need a defined role to do it, which is so rare in baseball. Like you just mentioned with Snicker, he's got guys who have defined yep. roles. So many other teams in baseball have that. You know, Edwin Diaz, he comes out, he's the closer. And obviously he's one of the best in baseball. But you're not using him in high leverage situations. And because you can't have that advantage, maybe Ryan Helsley being your high leverage guy, that gives Ali that advantage to be able to say that. You know, and that's huge for him. And it's huge that they're able to communicate and say, listen, this is where we're going to use you when we feel like it's the best fit. Yeah, I remember Buck Showalter. This is a while ago now, but in that wild card game where he was at the time managing the Orioles and you had one of the best relievers in baseball and he was waiting for a closing situation and you never got to the closing situation. And as a result, he never saw that reliever entered the game. So it it can work both ways against you. If you try to do it that way, to your point, it, it can backfire. It actually ends up being a weapon that the Cardinals are able to use Helsley in these spots. And as I look at the the Braves lineup, like last night, you go into that game, which of the which area of the lineup concerns you? Is it the part where it's Darno Contreras and Rosario? Is it Grissom, Harris and Grossman? Or is it Swanson, Olsen and Riley? That's the spot. Those three are the ones that I want my best dude to get them out. Right. That's the heart of the order that scares me as a Cardinals fan. And so who do I want going up against? If you told me I could have one pitcher from the Cardinals, anybody pick your who do you want that's going to get these three outs? Oh, Ryan Helsley in that spot. Yeah. Over any of your starters, over any of your other relievers that could come into that moment, that's the guy that I want. And they decided to do it. It didn't work, but they were able to pick him up. And I think that's another big part of yesterday's game is Helsley has saved this team's bacon so many times this year. Yep. And for once, they had to pick him up. And they were able to do exactly that. So anything you wanted to see from over the weekend, I I think you saw it from a managing side of things. You also saw it from the offense, and this has been a theme for the second half of the year. Alexa, I want to get into this offense with you. Are you trusting that the offense can be the identity of this team down the stretch? We'll get into that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night on the broadcast on ESPN alongside Alexa Dett. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. The Cardinals offense is coming together right now. You've got Albert Nolan, Paul Goldschmidt, Dickerson, Kisner, all with an OPS over a thousand since July 27th. You had Lars Newtbar in there at a 991 OPS and then Donovan and Gorman both over 800 as well. I didn't mention Tyler O'Neill. 
who over the weekend was one of your best offensive performers, and he's got an OPS over 850 over his last 15 games. Alexa, this offense is coming together the way that Ali Marmol and the Cardinals had said all year that it eventually would, and we didn't really see a whole lot of fruits of that labor early on in the season. Are you trusting that this can be the identity of the team, especially when it comes to the power? Because you look back at the way that they've won most of these games over the last couple of weeks. It's been with a lot of power. Can they sustain that in your mind down the stretch? I think so, because they haven't been a home run reliant team all season. And had they been, that would concern me in the postseason because I think that's a glaring issue for teams. If you don't, you know, you see such high leverage pitchers, a high velocity in the postseason. And, you know, yes, sometimes you connect, but a lot of times you whiff. And especially with the intensity of the postseason. But the way this team is able to score, when you get guys like Brendan Donovan, who just gets on base like a machine, extending his hitting streak to 10 games, he's hitting 421, 16 for 38 over those last 10 games. Has there ever been a quieter, like, offensive resurgence than what we're seeing with Donovan too. It's weird. Well, that's the best part about this team is that you have future hall of famers, you have veterans, you competing for the NL MVP, and then you have rookies who came onto the scene, burst onto the scene in the best way possible, then maybe slumped a bit, made some adjustments and now are making the adjustments back to really be, you know, a huge contributor for this offense. But it's also cool to see guys like Corey Dickerson, who came here under the assumption that he was going to be serving one role with the Cardinals. That wasn't the case. Now he changed his mentality coming into the second half, saying, I'm just going to do whatever the team needs. And you see how that has opened his mind to be able to contribute offensively. Lars Nupar, they say to him, "Okay, you're going to be a bench player. That's a tough spot, especially for a young guy. Now you're the everyday right fielder. Go out there and perform. Now he's been given that spot, given that confidence, and you see it come through in the in the biggest way for him. So all these little adjustments that the team has made. I mean, pre-deadline, was anyone talking about Harrison Bader being on the move? No, no way. Yeah. No way. So the fact that this organization said we can actually make this move and trust guys if we put them in starting roles and let them, you know, work it out, see what they can do. And they're coming through. That to me says because they have that confidence, I believe in it not only for the second half, but for the postseason, too. I I think the offense is definitely sustainable for the stretch run here where the the offense is going to be be not be a negative it's going to be an asset to where they have the ability to come back that we've talked about now you have a sense of that also they're still waiting to see who that five guy is for them against right-handed pitching because i'm not sold it's Corey dickerson moving forward i do think it could be tyler o'neill at some point you're gonna buy into dickerson i don't think so i don't think so but But, well why why would you not buy into him i i just don't think it's sustainable what he's doing where he's hitting like 400 over the last like two weeks and i i think he's more of what he was earlier in the year where he's a 230 250 hitter i think he's a perfect fourth outfielder for you i think when right, Tyler O'Neill is the guy that's hitting fifth for you. I'm not saying I'm saying Dickerson needs to be out of the lineup. I just don't see him hitting fifth. I want Tyler O'Neill at his sure. peak is going to be hitting fifth for this lineup. And to me, I think he's potentially getting close. But when I look at this team as a whole, when we look at them in the playoff picture, I'm still not sure that offense is going to be their identity. And I don't think so. I think it's going to be the starting pitching. I think if we look at the Cardinals and they go on a World Series run, we're going to say, wow, that starting pitching was incredible. And that's what got them there. We're going to look back at Moe's move to part with Harrison Bader to go get Jordan Montgomery because I'm. If Flaherty's right, and based on all the way they've talked about him coming off this rehab stint, it sounds like they're expecting him to be back to Jack Flaherty that we know. But they almost have to have their offense be their identity because their depth is their biggest asset. 
I, I just think if you look at this team, I think I think the offense, when you get to playoff time, I think you're looking at an offense scores three, four runs, which is what you want. And I think it's going to come from Goldie Arnado carrying the load. And then I think what I'm going to look at, I'm going to go, this pitching staff really shut down opposing lineups. I mean, you're going to have to go through the Dodgers, which are a loaded lineup. You're going to have to go through, uh, if the Padres get in, they've still got a pretty good lineup. You look at the Mets, they've got a loaded lineup. We just saw the Braves this week, and they've got a loaded lineup. I mean, it's going to be more of an exceptional feat for me to look at and say the pitching staff for the Cardinals shut down those lineups, and the Cardinals were able to scrap across a couple of runs like you saw this weekend. What would you say was the storyline from the Cardinals over the weekend, though? Because I would say it was the offense, Same. not the pitching. I would agree it was the offense. Uh, I think that was kind of a just – like I look at – okay, Wainwright was awesome for you on Sunday. Saturday was just one of those rough starts for Jordan Montgomery. I don't read a whole lot into it considering he'd only given up one earned run. I think when you look at them, like when they go up against the Dodgers, how are they going to beat the Dodgers? I, I think it's going to be, I'm going to look at their starting pitching shuts them down Interesting. and their I, pitching as a whole. I, I think you got to out hit them. I think so too. I, I don't know that you have the pitching to be able to outduel them one for one when it comes to your starters. And by the way, the Dodgers are just in it. Like let's set them off to a side for a second because they're, they're a tough team to be able to line up on paper with for anybody, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Braves, whoever, but like if you're going up against, for example, the Braves in a playoff series and you're looking at the pitching staffs one for one, at best, they're a draw. I, I think that if you're going to look at something and say, OK, the Cardinals have an edge here. I know it sounds crazy to say, but I think it is the lineup. It is. I mean, you go one for one up and down that lineup. And I think you can at least make a case that given what the pivot point is in the Cardinals lineup with that three, four with Goldie and Arenado and the other guys that are around them, I think you can make a case. The Cardinals have the better lineup top to bottom when right now, Tyler O'Neill needs to be this the rest of the year for that to be the case. And you need to continue getting these kinds of contributions from Albert Pools against lefties, Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan against righties. But they've pieced this thing together now where you look at it and every day, regardless of what hand the other uh, opposing team's starting pitcher is throwing with, you feel pretty good about what your one through like seven looks like right now. So I, I think it's going to be the offense that has to come through for this team to be a legitimate contender in the end. And I, I think that what you said, Alexa, is part of this where – I really like diversity within a lineup. I don't want you to have all power. I don't want you to have all contact. You've got to have something in between. Yeah. And this team right now has a great mix of, all right, Tyler O'Neill is going to mostly hit for power right now. He's not striking out at the same rate that it was earlier in the season, but he's he's hitting the crap out of the ball. Brendan Donovan is going to take his walks. Corey Dickerson is going to hit for contact. He never strikes out, but he also doesn't really walk right now. And that's okay, but he's going to hit for contact. You've just got every type of hitter within your lineup, and I think that makes it a miserable night for an opposing pitcher. So for me, I I do think it's the offense that is, and I do believe will be the identity of this team down the stretch. Well, and here's the biggest way to to sort it out, right? Starting pitching. How many of the starting pitchers for the Cardinals are currently in even close to the Cy Young conversation? I would put Wainwright will be in the Cy Young conversation. He'll get votes. He won't be like, top three. I don't think anybody's top three, but I think your pitching gives you a better chance when you go up against, I don't think you can out hit the Dodgers. I don't think you can out hit. I mean, they out hit the Braves this weekend, but I don't think you can do that consistently enough. I think your pitching has to shut down teams. I think good pitching, like we say, I say in the NFL, good defense leads or good offense will lead you to win a Super Bowl, but you also have a decent defense. You need to have a decent lineup, but I think good pitching leads you to a World Series title. Okay, that's so, just my mindset. So the answer to the question is zero. Zero, <laughs> but I think, this, I think this rotation, I, I agree okay, with what BK said, but, the rotation but, stacks up with anybody, but and think I would about take it, it against most of the teams now in the NL. Think the, about this. The rotation? I would take, if you have Jack Flaherty back at his peak form, I would take the you don't rotation. You know what you're going to get from of, Jack Flaherty yet. You but just I, don't. But I'm going with the assumption of what the Cardinals are saying is we think Jack Flaherty's he's essentially 
our trade deadline acquisition part three, and it's yeah. the Jack Flaherty of old. And if that's him, yeah, I would take this rotation against anybody in the National League. I truly would. I think Adam Wainwright is a stud in the playoffs. I, I know Miles Michaelis has gone through some struggles. I still think he's a guy that I would count on. Jordan Montgomery's been awesome from the left side. Oh, and then I'm going to be adding a Jack Flaherty. Oh, and hell, I got Steven Matz coming out of my bullpen also. I think this pitching is going to be the identity of this team if they go on a World Series I think it run. comes down to what you think about that, that Dodgers rotation. Because like if you look at the names... It's not going to impress you all that much, honestly. Like, But if you take the names off of the sheet and you look at what the numbers are and you see, okay, well, everybody basically has a sub-3 ERA on the season. Tony Gonsolin at a 2.1, Urias at a 2.3, Anderson at a 2.7. Now you look at it it's like, man, I, I don't know that anybody's competing with that. And then it's like the opposite almost for the Mets. You look at the names at the front end of their rotation, you're like, who's going to be able to match up with Scherzer or DeGrom? Right. The reality is, like, nobody. <laughs> if those guys are right, no nobody can match up with those two at the front end of a rotation. So I, I think that for the Cardinals, it's it's – the lineup. Like you look at Goldie and Arenado, and nobody can match that one-two punch. You can make a strong case right now that that's your number one and number two vote getters in the MVP conversation. Well, that's what I'm saying. In terms of the offense, you're talking about MVP guys who yep. are going to finish one and two or at least top three. You don't have that for the starting pitching. I'm not saying they don't have good starting pitching. They do, but it's not at least on paper the best in baseball. Where the lineup. The, the, that 3-4 hole is the best in baseball right now, or at least in the National League. So for me, the identity has to come from the offense because that's where your best assets are. That's what you're going to live and die by. That's, Six, that's just how it's going to go. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, the plan for Jack Flaherty does seem to be coming together. What's it going to look like? And what does it mean for Dakota Hudson? We'll get into that coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. the air comfort service text line for questions and answers let's do this from the 573 hey guys when albert pools or if albert pools gets to 700 home runs this year would he become the first draft choice when you're selecting all-time cardinals players yes i'm just gonna say yes i've only been here for a year he's been the best storyline it's magical it's insane he joins you know elite company in baseball to me it's a it's an easy yes it's hammerstand i mean those are the two it's gonna be one of those guys I so we do this thing with baseball and history where like the the thing that happened way back when is always going to be more impressive than what we're watching right now. I don't know why we do this. It's not necessarily always the case and the game continues to evolve and it gets tougher to play as we continue to go. So I think for most of our audience they would probably stay stan. But I think you can make a case at this point that Albert should be the choice there. But I think for I would be curious. That's that's an interesting question. I think for our audience, it would probably be mostly Stan. I love the question is when Albert Pujols gets to <laughs> yeah, 700, say if. not if like it's a definitive thing that's going to happen for this team. And if he does make that history with the Cardinals, to me, that's a no brainer. Where do you think he gets? What do you think he gets to? Do you, do you think he gets 700? I think he gets 700. 
I know that's really hard to say. And when he's hitting really well, when he hits, you know, 10 homers in 14 games, everyone goes like, yeah. of course he's going to get it. Then he slumps for, you know, several at-bats and everyone's like, oh, well, now we're, we're worried. That's going to be a problem. But uh, I think he gets there. Here's the thing about Pujols, though. He's already hit 700 homers in his career, if you add the postseason. Yeah. For him, he's just enjoying the ride. He's loving being with the guys. He's loving, you know, building up the young guys and how much fun they're all having as a group and that this is his farewell tour. So for him, it's not as big of a deal as it is for the rest of us. It's just not. Yeah, I, I actually think Pools would be the one that more people would take now. You think? I think it's because a lot of, well, one, more people saw him now. So I think they would say that because it's more recency bias. And I, I do agree with you. Sometimes we do look back on the history and we say, well, that's more impressive than what it is now. I do think, though, that what Pujols did, Pujols had that awesome, like, 10-year stretch, clearly the best, best right-handed pitcher you've ever, or right-handed hitter, excuse me, that you've probably ever seen in your lifetime. And Stan was great. Don't get me wrong. His was more of kind of like, I feel like, a more long period of sustained success. Pujols was like 10 years of just unbelievable greatness where he was, I mean, we've looked at his numbers. Everything's like bold on his baseball reference page because he was leading the league in everything. So I think more people would actually say Pujols. I think I would say Pujols. I think that might be because of the recency bias too, but I, I would still say Pools because I think he had just 10 unbelievable years that you may never see across baseball history ever again. Six and don't five. we love as baseball fans, sorry, no, don't we, <laughs> BK, don't we love a fairytale ending? Oh yeah. I mean, there's nothing better. Right. He just, he's wrapping it up really well. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, guys, I saw this earlier today. 25 years ago today, Netflix was officially founded. What is your favorite Netflix film and or TV series? Alexa, are you a big Netflix person? Huge Netflix person. I loved Money Heist. Did you see oh, Money Heist? Fantastic, yes. One of Underrated my favorite TV show. That the entrance music. The Bella Ciao, Bella yeah. Ciao, Bella Ciao, Ciao, Ciao. <laughs> I get that in my head all the time. Um, subtitles were interesting, but I think they did a really good job. You didn't watch it dubbed, did you? I, I did. Oh, man. Um, it was I, tough. I feel sorry for you. The subtitles were way better. <laughs> it was uh, it was a tough watch, but I so most of the dubbing is horrible and the lips don't match like it's nothing close. I thought this was as well done as you can possibly do. For I agree something with you, like especially that. because when Netflix bought it from the director in Spain, because it became a cult. It flopped at first and then it became a cult classic when Netflix picked it up and did the dubbing. They put so much money into the actors who did the dubbing that it actually ended up working out okay. Yeah, they, they yeah. did a good job with it. But yeah. Tanner, have you ever even seen that? No. It, it's worth your time. The Professor. Oh, it's so good. What's your favorite Netflix show or t- or movie? Does it have to be like a Netflix, like Netflix producer <laughs> themselves? <laughs> what have you seen If we're Netflix? going by that, I don't know if I've <laughs> had one. I was going to say, I watched, uh, I caught up during the pandemic on Breaking Bad, caught up with Breaking Bad, watched that. I'm catching up on some movies on Netflix. Like I watched uh, Seven for the first time. A couple weeks ago, uh, that's probably I would have to say Break Bad is my favorite show on Netflix that I've seen there. I can't think of any other ones that popped to my mind. I don't. I haven't really watched a lot of the like Netflix. Have you seen specials. Queen's Gambit yet? Oh, so I'm good. Not, that's a not. good one. What about House of Cards? I, I was I've not, not a House, House of, of Cards, Cards guy. I, I got loved House of Cards. First see, first episode of season two. Spoiler alert. Gets hit by a train and I was out. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's enough for me. I officially jumped the shark. I really enjoyed season one, and then it lost me. I was like, I I think I'm good here. This is enough. And then we lived it. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers uh, from the six three six guys. Do you think that there's any chance that Nolan Arenado ends up winning the MVP over Paul Goldschmidt? Ooh. 
By wins above replacement, they're now tied. Now, that is not the end-all be-all. I'm not suggesting that it is, but it's something that people definitely look at in terms of the MVP voters. So I will be curious to see how that tracks the rest of the season. If Goldie ends up still leading in all of the triple crown categories or at like batting average on base slugging, he's leading in all of those right now. It's going to be really hard for Nolan to win it. But man, with his defense, given what he's done there, it, he's at least got a shot. He's got a, He's got a puncher's chance. I don't think that. I mean, he, it'll be close. He'll get votes. Might steal some votes from Paulie Goldschmidt. That that scares me a little bit. But no, I think the season that Goldschmidt has put together as a whole and how locked in he is at the plate, this is his season to take MVP. Yeah, that's where I am. I, I think it'd have to be like an incredibly cold streak for Paul Goldschmidt to where Nolan Arnau could do it. Otherwise, I'm not sure Arnado has a chance. When you lead in, when he's going to be, because I, I don't know if he'll win the Triple Crown, but like you were saying, he's going to be probably top five in all three categories. And he's more than likely going to win the slash line where he's going to have best on base, yeah. best slug, and best OPS, plus potentially best batting average. I don't see how Arnado, as great as he's been, I can't see him really surpassing Goldie for MVP. I wonder, I'll have to look this up. I wonder when the last time was that a player in the National League led in batting average on base and slugging percentage. It had to have been a while. Well, the last Triple Crown was 1937. So long ago. Jesus. I I think it's going to be Goldie. At this point, he's the odds-on favorite. Like, it's overwhelming favorite in Vegas. Goldie's going to be the guy. Two things would have to happen, right? Goldie would have to get cold and Nolan would have to get hot. So both of those things happening consecutively for the next month and a half, that would be really tough. And specifically, if Nolan had a huge series in that that road trip that they've got against San Diego, L.A., and then Milwaukee. Milwaukee... If he had a massive road trip there, that might be enough where nationally people would take notice and they'd say to themselves like, okay, maybe there is a conversation to be had here. And people just get bored. And Goldie's been the clear-cut favorite all season long. So if Nolan emerges late, you could see some a little some momentum there as well. Yeah. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of in or out. But next, the plan for Jack Flaherty seems to be coming together for the Cardinals. What does it mean for him? What does it mean for Dakota Hudson in the rotation? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Jack Flaherty might be making his way back to the Cardinals in his fourth rehab start. Goes five and a third. Four hits, one earned run, had a little bit of struggles with command. Three walks, three strikeouts on 85 pitches. And now the plan seems to be he's going to make at least one more start down in AAA. Here's Ollie Marmel yesterday before the game. He'll have one more start in AAA. That'll be on Wednesday, I believe. And then he will then be available to us next time through the rotation. Any pitch limits? So no more pitch limits for Jack Flaherty. He's making his way back. And if everything stays on turn, you would assume he would be making a start either late in the series against Chicago or early in the series against Washington, probably replacing Dakota Hudson in the rotation. Alexa, it's been hard for me to fully buy into this storyline just because like we've been burned so many times before, not just because of Jack Flaherty, but all of these guys that come back from injury when it comes to the rotation, you just don't know what it's going to look like. Could go great, or it could flame out very quickly, and now you're back to where you were previously. What is your level of confidence that this time it's going to be different with Jack Flaherty, and he's going to be able to be maybe not full-formed Jack, but something resembling the guy that we saw even last year before he got hurt? 
really high, (laughs) really high. So when Jack Flaherty originally got hurt and he was pushing to come back and the organization was like, let's take it slow. Let's make sure that you're fully healed and you want to come back the right way. He was itching to come back so much to the point where I think he came back a little too soon and it, it maybe wasn't done the way that the organization would like and the way that Jack Flaherty would like Now, because they learned from that situation, he is coming back the right way. He is coming back healthy. He's going to be back on that September 5th start at home against the Nationals if everything goes well Mm -hmm. in his next rehab start in Memphis. And he is looking great down in AAA. Now, listen, I understand it's a totally different level of hitter. Those guys are, you know... They don't work the count like professional baseball players do in the pros. And, and, you know, at this level, it's a different kind of hitter that you see. But in terms of Jack Flaherty's health, he is there and his stuff looks incredible. Dakota Hudson has struggled recently. They skipped his turn in the rotation to try and figure out how he would face lefties. He came back and he looked pretty good, but I think my level of confidence for Jack Flaherty is higher than for Dakota Hudson right now, and especially because Jack feels like he's in a good space mentally, physically. Why not have him be the guy down the stretch, especially because he's been so good for you in certain spots? I mean, if you get at least even a fraction of 2018 Jack Flaherty, that's like acquiring another pitcher at the trade deadline, and he doesn't have the usage on his arm for the full season a lot of these other guys do. That's a fresh, healthy arm that is a, a huge weapon for this rotation. Yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that when he comes back, I don't think he'll be second half 2019 Jack Flaherty because that's essentially impossible. But I do think he is going to be what he was kind of in that first half, kind of that second half of 2018 where he was really good, mid-three ERA, and he'll be able to give you five, six strong innings. Like I, I feel confident that's what Jack Flaherty is going to be because, one, to Alexa's point, yes, he's been doing the... He's on a full rehab stint. He's this will be his fifth rehab start, so that means everything's going well. He's come out of those feeling healthy. And honestly, if, if you weren't for the roster crunch in terms of okay, we can wait just a little bit longer. We can go add him for, without doing this. Doing this. Yeah, you could you can just wait another while, give him one more extra start because his command was a little wild in his last start. But you look at his numbers. I mean, he hasn't really walked anybody except for that last start. Three walks in the last one. The previous two, it was just one each start. So his command seems to be there. I think it, based on all the reports we've seen, and we've kind of caught little glimpses of him when we've been watching the minor league games is his fastball velocity seems to be about where you want it and sometimes he's able to tick it up as well and his breaking ball looks pretty good in his rehab start so the reason I'm kind of confident one he's come through four rehab starts looks healthy Cardinals just being taking this cautiously making sure he gets another one he's come through all these healthy the fastball command seems to be there and the breaking ball looks sharp it's all about the stuff for me and last time I know the report said his stuff looked good, but then when he got back to the major leagues, you didn't see it. I don't think you're going to see that this time around. I think when he gets up here, you're going to see the actual Jack Flair that we were expecting the last go around. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 314. Guys, when was the last time that we saw Jack as an actual top end of the rotation type of a pitcher? I am in a wait and see at this point with him. I mean, the answer is last year. Before he got hurt, Jack Flaherty was really good for the Cardinals last season. He had a 2.7 ERA in his first 13 starts for the Cardinals. Opposing hitters were batting 188 against him. That's a legitimate ace. That's what you're looking for. If he can be that guy, not second half when he looked like Bob Gibson, like you don't need that. I mean, I would love to have it, but you don't need him to be that again. If he can be the guy that was just a really excellent, at least number two starter for you, that's good enough where the Cardinals, I mean, they were 10-3 and three in his starts in the first three, 13 starts of the season last year. 
that's a difference maker. That's a guy that can start a playoff game for you and you feel excellent about it. And you feel like you're going up against whoever the opposing starter is. And you're going to have a fighting chance in that one. Like whether it's Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, Clayton Kershaw, whoever it is, I don't care who's on the other side. If you got Jack Flaherty, you're going to have a shot. So, I mean, it has not been as long as I think sometimes we make it out to be. He's just been hurt since the middle of last season. And you haven't been able to see that version of him again. So if he gets right, If this is the time where he actually took his time to get through the process, he's going to return. He's something resembling 100% when it comes to physically what you're getting out of him. Yeah. And this is this is a game changer for the Cardinals. I also think it really helps with your bullpen. As you mentioned, I think he's going to take the spot of Dakota Hudson. I think that's kicked Dakota Hudson into your bullpen. We were talking about this during one of the breaks. You get to the playoffs, you got those bridge innings where you're trying to get from your starter who went like five innings and you're trying to get to the Gallegos and Helsley at the back end of your pin. They're in the middle. It gets a little a little tight there sure. for a while. I think Dakota Hudson, as much as I am down on the guy, and he's not my favorite pitcher to watch by any stretch of the imagination, he can help you in those spots. Right-handed guy that can get right-handers out, get you on the ground, I think Dakota Hudson could actually be a leverage arm for them in those middle innings once you get to the playoffs. Now, I want to see it first, but we've seen it before from him. If he can go into those middle innings, give you one or two, I feel pretty good about that as well, and that could help your bullpen as well as your rotation. Well, and the cool thing about Dakota Hudson, he's a 70% ground ball guy. Mm -hmm. You've got one of the best defenses in the majors behind him. Those two is a perfect formula if you just need a couple innings out of him. The other thing about Flaherty is him being back healthy is more of a luxury for this team. It's not a necessity because you added Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana, and both of them have been pitching well for you. So if you have an abundance of riches going into the postseason, Jack Flaherty doesn't have as much pressure on him as maybe there would have been before had they not gotten huge pieces at the deadline to help solve a lot of these issues in the rotation. And I think that's a huge part of it, too. We don't need Jack Flair to go out there and be an ace. You need him to go out and pitch well and be healthy. And yes, whether that's out of the pen or in the rotation, you just need solid innings out of him. And that is a huge mindset change from we need you to come back and be the number two guy or, you know, the best pitcher on the staff. Yeah, and I think we brought this up maybe two weeks ago at this point where it was Boy, imagine who would have thought at the deadline we could potentially be saying in a, when we get to playoff time the Cardinals could have one of the deepest pitching staffs in baseball. Because, I mean, once Flurry does come back, they are going to get creative. I think they will try Hudson in that relief role that you're talking about, BK, because he does get right-handed guys out. He is on the ground, so I think they're going to get creative in trying that. They're going to get creative when Matt comes back from injury as well and use him as a potential high-leverage reliever. So Flurry coming back provides all these kind of different outlets for them to look at. Even Quintana. I think Quintana's going to get a look at the bullpen as well. Not so much in the regular season, but potentially in the playoffs to see what he looks like. Can he handle taking a role? Can he be a high-leverage kind of arm for us? So it's going to be interesting to see. I I still think Jack Flaherty, when he gets back, I think he's a guy that when he's right, and I know we've talked about this before, I think he's a guy that you can start in a wild card round series because if he's right, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, in my opinion. Let's do that on the other side. In or out, Wayno, Flaherty, Montgomery. That's your top three in the rotation by the time you get to the playoffs. I love we'll it. answer that for you coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Six, five, seven, 
service tax line if you have something for in or out go ahead and send it in now we are starting though with something that alexa asked before the show today wayno flaherty montgomery that's your top three of the rotation going into the playoffs alexa are you in or out on wayno flaherty and montgomery starting for you in the wild card round i feel like miles michaelis would listen to this and be like excuse me i had an all-star season i lead the team with 26 starts i've pitched 164 innings you're going to leave me out of the postseason rotation? How dare you? Um, I'm out because I need to see more from Flaherty. And Michaelis is my guy. But I really love Flaherty's stuff. And Michaelis has struggled just a little bit here down the stretch. So if that continues and we see a lot of upside from Flaherty, I would consider that move. But I'm not ready to make that yet. Yeah, I'm out as well. And mine is because I think I need Michaelis in there now. And I know he's going through struggles. I still am going to rely on one of the guys that was my workhorses to get me to this point. I think that was what, uh, I think it was Eduardo Perez or Mark DeRosa. One of those guys said where maybe you don't have flirting in the rotation because I want the guys that have been my workhorse that have got me here. I think the debate comes down to, okay, do I go to Jordan Montgomery, who was a trade deadline acquisition, or do I turn to Jack Flaherty if he's right? If Jack Flaherty's right, I think Jack Flaherty's in this playoff rotation, but I have to have Michaelis in it no matter what. For me, it's between Montgomery and Flaherty, so I'm out on this one. As of today, I'm out. How would you rank your starters, though, right now in terms of your level of confidence in them going into a playoff series? Let's say that they play right now. It's the the Padres that they would be going up against, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You're going into that series, Alexa. You got the Padres on the other side. You're at home for a three game set. Rank your level of confidence one through five, let's say in the Cardinals starters going into that series. Okay, well, let's let's flip it just a bit for a second and say San Diego starters. So you would have like a Joe Musgrove, you Darvish, Blake Snell, Sean Mania potentially in there, Mike Clevenger. I think you're probably going Clevenger just because the Cardinals hit lefties so well mm-hmm. instead of Snell, but yeah. Okay. So th- those are good names on paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a good amount of postseason experience that you got going on there. So Wayno is my number one. Ooh, number two. That's where it gets hard. It, it gets yeah, hard very quickly. Does, it does. It does. In terms of right now, it's Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery. It's 1A, 1B, though. Jordan Montgomery, Miles Michaelis. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And Jose Quintana has been pitching really well for this team. I would go Flaherty for Quintana 5 for me. Yeah. Even before seeing Flaherty. Just because I like Quintana a lot. I think he's a two times through the order type of a starter. And in the playoffs, if I can get that guy into my bullpen where I've got a long man now sure. to potentially go to. I, I think I like Quintana in that spot. And he's got swing and miss stuff. He does. So I can bring him in coming out of the bullpen. I can get out of an inning clean. Maybe he goes out there for two to three. Uh, gives you a little bit of length. I, I think Quintana is the guy that I'm pushing definitely to my bullpen. I, I would have Flaherty for sure at four. I, I want to see Flaherty against Major League hitting. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think mine right now I think I would go Wayne on one because he's been just awesome for you all year. I mean, he was awesome again last night going six and two thirds, I believe is what it was. I I would still go Michaelis two for now and Montgomery three, just because we haven't seen Flaherty. Uh, but if you see Flaherty, that might change for me where Flaherty maybe moves into that three spot ahead of Montgomery. But for now, I definitely go Wayno, Michaelis, Montgomery, Flaherty, Quintana would be my one through five. I know the Cardinals also love pitching lefties at home just because it is so hard for righties to hit for power at yep. Bush Stadium. And yep. so that might play into this as well, where they look at it and they say, you know what? 
we got to pitch Montgomery at home in this three-game set because of where we play. Mm-hmm. And then you go on the road, potentially, if they were to advance into the NLDS, and now you've got your righty set up to go on the road. But that's, of course counting your chickens before the eggs hatch and that could be problematic (laughs) because you may never play in the NLDS if you don't move on I I think right now I would go Wayno, Michaelis, Montgomery and then Flaherty but god once you get past Wayno it gets really tough it gets really really difficult to be able to rank those I think all of them are like in the same category and that's where if you had a four game series you just throw all of them you feel good about it sure but with it only being three it gets tough 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 in or out Ollie Marmels should win manager of the year this year in the National League. I think he's going to get serious consideration. For sure. I, I think it probably ends up being Buck Showalter. I think he'll probably get it because of what the Mets have become this year as a stable organization, and they were anything but that over the last few years. I think Ollie will get consideration, but I think he probably finishes like second or third, maybe behind also. Um, Dave Roberts as well, just because of how good the Dodgers have been this year. Yeah, but has Dave had to do a lot of work? No. So I don't know that that that's... I'm with you. I'm just trying to get myself... I I would vote for Ollie. I think he's been the best manager this year, given how many moving parts this team has. You look at what the lineup looks like today and compare it to what the lineup looked like in April. That's a lot of managing that he's had to do (laughs) from start to finish. I don't think that's been the case for the Mets. It's definitely not been the case for the Dodgers. It's plug and play with those guys. You're ready to go. I think if you're going by that, I think the only one that I would, I don't even think I'd take him ahead of Ollie, but I think the one that voters would consider taking ahead of Ollie is the Phillies manager because he took over for Girardi. We thought that team was washed up, done. Okay, well, they've moved on from Girardi. They're not going to do anything. And since then, they've gone on a pretty good tear. They've stabilized. The Mike Schultz argument. Yeah, the Mike Schultz argument. But he hasn't been managing the whole season. Does that factor in for you? Uh, for me, it would. Like, I would say, like, I would take Ollie ahead of him. For yeah. me, it would. But to some voters, they'd say, well, wow, look at that awesome turnaround. He must have really done something right to where it goes that way. I think Ollie. Getting Bryce Harper gets, back is, is yeah, helpful, a big too. One. <laughs> I, I think Ollie probably finishes third, I think. Because I, I think you. I think Showalter wins it, and then I think the Phillies guy probably gets a lot of votes for what he did. So the Cardinals had the least amount of lineup changes in all of baseball last season. That makes sense. That I'm checks out. This, <laughs> this year is not that. And it's because of Ali Marmol. I have not heard that stat. That's really interesting. To communicate with the team. So because of the amount that he has to manage, where Buck Showalter also has to do some managing because of all of the different injuries that they've sustained. And, um, you know, he's got some some guys there that, that uh, platoon. But you've got Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. There's nothing you have to do on those days. You just sit back and watch. I think he will get a lot of credit because you brought up injuries. This is what reminded me of it. I think Schultz will get a lot of credit for carrying the Mets through that stretch without DeGrom and without Scherzer no, at that's the same a good point. time. That's a great I think point. That, I think that will be what, what really carries him. And I think that's the argument for Dave Roberts as well, right? You're without Kershaw right now. You're also without Bueller, and you've found a way to piece this thing together with yeah. your rotation. I mean, you look at the names again, like, the names in the rotation are worse than the names in the Cardinals rotation or the Mets rotation, Braves, Phillies, any of them. And yet they're out here leading the National League and runs allowed on the season. Yeah, that's wild. That that seems impossible. So I think he'll get some consideration as a result of that. I think it ends up being Buck Walter, though. I think he's probably the favorite. For I'm going to go with Ollie. I think Ollie wins it. I like it. I, I hope them. you're right. 65780 is your comfort service text line for in or out. In or out, guys, the Cardinals find a way to catch the Mets and the Braves and end up with the bye in the wild card round and don't have to make any decisions on their starting pitchers for that round. In or out, the Cardinals catch the Mets. They're seven and a half games back right now, Alexa. I'm in on that. 
You think they get the two seed? I'm in on that. Yes, because look at their schedule. For me, what we've seen since the trade deadline and how they've taken care of teams below 500 that are out of the postseason picture. I mean, Cincinnati, Chicago, Washington, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Cincinnati again. This right here is a time for them to separate themselves in the division and really go for Have you seen the Mets schedule, though? It ain't good. No, it's not good. Washington, Pittsburgh, Miami, Chicago Cubs, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, the Oakland A's, Miami. And they look good right now. It's, I, 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 listen, I think the Cardinals at least have a chance and they've made it interesting, which I never a month ago would have thought was even possible. (laughs) Winning 23 out of 30 is something that I was not prepared for. I, I'm out on this. I don't think they find a way to get the two seed. I think they might finish third, but in this league, third does nothing for you. Say. It changes literally nothing in terms of what the overall record is. But so. they're third right now, right? Fourth. They're they're behind the um, the Braves as well in terms of record. Oh, oh, but because they lead the division, yeah. right? Because the Braves. Yeah, that's the other thing about the Braves this weekend. They're fighting for division, and, and that was a really big still, series for yeah. Atlanta. It was a huge was series huge. loss for them. Yeah. I, I think I'm out on this too. I, seven and a half games is just a lot to make up. It, it, we barely see teams gain like five. But in St. Louis, it's kind of their thing, right? I know, it's kind streaking. of their thing. Let's go streaking, Tanner. I, I think I'm out though because the Mets have an easy schedule. The Braves have an easy schedule. I, I can't see them getting to the point where they can get to the bye. So I think I'm going to be out on this one. For Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer with a pretty good story from Alexa Dat from over the weekend. I mean, not too big, but, you know, kind of a pretty big life event for Alexa. <laughs> we'll get into that coming up at 1245. But next... Tyler O'Neill has been the missing piece for the Cardinals offense all season long. Is he officially back now? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tyler O'Neill is going to have to step up and take some big at-bats for us and drive in some runs and get on base in order for this offense to be what it needs to be. O'Neal with a high drive out to deep left field at the wall. Goodbye. A two-run homer, Tyler O'Neal. His ninth of the year. Drilled the center. Harris back. the second half of this ball team that that really uh, gets us going, Uh, you know, myself included too. I want to be here and helping these guys uh, push in playoffs and into the playoffs, Um, you know, and I want to play a role in that as best I can. Feels like Tyler O'Neal came up in a big spot every night over the weekend, and it's felt that way for a little while now. Alongside Alexa Dad, who's filling in for Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports, Fox, and ESPN Tyler O'Neill on Saturday has the literal walk off. And then on Sunday, he hits the three run shot that gives the Cardinals the lead in the ninth or in the bottom of the eighth inning. They go on to win that one six to three. So he hits the game winning homer there. Alexa, in his last 15 games, Tyler O'Neill is bat- now batting 285. He's got an OPS over 900. He looks like the guy that we saw last year. And oh, by the way, he's doing it while playing in center field. And while it hasn't been perfect out there defensively, it's been mostly pretty darn good for Tyler O'Neill. Is it fair to say he's back or are you still skeptical that this is something that can sustain? No, he's back, baby. 
Tyler O'Neill is in full force. This is the guy that's going to complete your big three with Arnato and Goldschmidt down the stretch, especially because now he's talking about himself in third person. <laughs> he's like, I just want to play like Tyler O'Neill out there again. And you're like, yeah, I believe that because you're referencing yourself and you're referencing your former self who was in the MVP conversation last season. And if you feel that way, you're going to tell people about it and feel confident that that is the level that you're getting to because you wouldn't go out there and just say that if you didn't actually believe that it was happening because all of this is coming out on record. This is all being typed up. It's going out in the papers. It's going out in the airwaves. It's not a, a comment that you can walk back. So he knows exactly what he's doing because he feels that level of confidence. He's able to say, I feel pretty good about myself right there. And I do want to go out and perform to the same level as Arnato and Goldschmidt and these other guys who have stepped up and carried the offense all season. Uh, now it's my time to shine. He's back. He's back, baby. Let's go. I'm not as sold on him being oh, back just yet. Tanner, I don't know. Text line always says that I'm negative <laughs> You're all the time. Uh, I, I'm not completely sold he's back, but I think he's getting close. But I feel like I've said that a lot this year because of the seeing his batter's eye over the weekend where he's able to take the three walks in the game, have the walk-off walk, and then being able to take that fastball, which was on the outer part of the plate, get his arms extended, get the barrel of the bat to it, and drive it into dead center field. That's what I expect from Tyler O'Neill when he's right. So he's starting to look kind of like himself but I just need to see it continue on for another week. I'm not saying he has to have a Corey Dickerson 10 for 10 in him. But I, but I, I would need, take that. that. I would take that, too. <laughs> that would be nice. But I, I think I need to see him continue to build off of this for the next like week or so. And if he starts to do that where I see him, where he's not chasing pitches, he's not striking out a lot, he's drawing walks, he's hitting for some power, then yeah, then I'll be completely bought in that Tyler O'Neill is back. But again, I think he's close. And last time I thought that, he ended up going on the injured list with a hamstring issue. So hopefully it's not injury, and hopefully he can just build off this and have continued success. That There's a reason the Cardinals continue to throw him out in the lineup. They're liking what they're seeing. I've started to see that as well. I just need another like week or so of it, and then I can say, okay, I'm fully bought in. Tyler O'Neill's back to being himself. You know what I loved about his home run? And this is something that he has said time and time again. When he hits a home run, he's he wants to run the bases as quickly as possible, get in there and, and you know, get the, the rest of the game going. He got his job done. Uh, let's get home and, and continue with the baseball game. The energy and the excitement that I saw from him when he hit that home run, turning around kind of that like scowl, but that confident look on his face of like, guys, this is what we're about. And I'm now here to be a participant in this offense and and how explosive it's been recently. That confidence to me, how he looked back at, at his own teammates, kind of like when Pujols did the Superman. That sort of reaction yeah. shows that you are you're feeling yourself on a different level. Because normally Tyler O'Neill's he's just he's hitting that home run, it gets out and he's running around the bases. But that that excitement level to me sent a different message to the team saying, guys, I'm back. I'm here to actually I'm here to contribute just like the rest of us have been doing. I liked that it came on a fastball. Yeah. Last year, that was what he just crushed from start to finish. When Tyler O'Neill was at his best, he hit 310 with almost a 600 slugging percentage against fastballs. This year, he's hitting for average 275, but the slugging percentage is down at 435. That's not the same dude. He's not punishing the fastball the way that he did last year. And last night, it was a 97-mile-an-hour fastball up in the zone. That's the type of pitch that he was destroying a year ago. I like seeing him get back to that version of himself where mm -hmm. he's doing damage. And Tanner, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. The underlying numbers were there for him. I was like, okay, he's hitting the ball hard again. Because earlier in the season, 
it was weird because it was like, okay, not only is he striking out a ton, he's not walking, but also he's not hitting the ball very hard. This is problematic. Right. Nothing is going right for Tyler O'Neill. He's been hitting the whole ball, the, the hall bar. He's hit, been hitting the ball hard now for about three weeks. And now the results are starting to follow. If this continues for another week or two, I'm all in. I couldn't be more all in. I will be riding the Alexa dad uh, hype here. train. I'm ready it's all to go. In. Let's go. I need to see it a little bit longer, though. It's kind of like the Jack Flaherty thing where it's like, okay, yep, I'll believe it when I see it 100%. I I need to see it a few starts for Jack. I need to see another week or two from Tyler O'Neill just because I've been carried away with the Tyler O'Neill stuff before. In the offseason, I was ready to hand him whatever contract he wanted to sign. Go ahead and give it to him. Let's sign him up. Let's keep him here for the long haul. This weekend, though, I will say. If you want to get excited about Tyler O'Neill, first of all, just listen to Alexa. She'll do that for you. <laughs> but second of all, I remember last year, I brought this up earlier, but it's that San Diego series where it's the 2011 reunion tour for the for the Cardinals, the 10-year reunion. They're celebrating them, and it was that Saturday game, game two against the Padres, the middle of that 17-game winning streak, and Tyler O'Neill hits the game-winning home run. Last night had that same feel. Sure. Where it's like, this could be the thing that gets him going. At that point in the season... Tyler O'Neill had been very good for the Cardinals. 280 batting average with a 530 slugging percentage. But then he took off. From there, he was just an animal down the stretch. So can he be that for the Cardinals the rest of this year? Maybe. I, I think he's capable of that. And honestly, they need him to be. Because to your point, Alexa, that third bat that they've been looking for, you've got that against left-handed pitching in Albert Pujols. Who's going to be that guy, though, that you can just count on that Tanner was mentioning earlier, maybe he bats fifth, maybe he bats second. I'm not sure where he lines up. And honestly, I don't really care much in the order. Who's that third bat that no matter who the pitcher is, you can count on to be a punishing force in your lineup. Tyler O'Neill's the guy that profiles to be that player. And now he just needs to prove it over the next couple of weeks. And I get you want to see a little bit more out of him, but the fact that he is healthy and hasn't dealt with any nagging issues in the last couple of weeks speaks volumes because of how hurt he was in the first half and how much that was affecting his play at the plate. So a healthy Tyler O'Neill and the fact that he has been dying to contribute. So maybe pressing a little bit. His lower half looks a lot calmer, which is huge, too. And his hands so much quicker through the zone. Uh, all of that combined, he said he's been working on his mechanics and, and putting it all together, his pregame routine, putting it all together to perform at the plate. He's at a level right now where if he feels that confidence that that is going to propel him to the level of where Goldie and Arnato are playing because he's watching their success. And now if he feels like he's a part of it and it's it's all a party, that's going to carry this team really, really far. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 573. Guys, do you think that the contracts, the arbitration situation put Tyler O'Neill in a funk this season? And do you think that he believed that he deserved top money? I, I think that there's something to that. I think it was the contract situation and then it's the nagging injuries that Alexa mentioned. And then he got back. He was feeling good. And then he gets hurt once again. I think it's all of that. Like all of those different things that you throw into the mix contributed to his struggles on the season. And I also think there's something to, I know Big Mac talks about this a lot whenever he's on with Carriker and Smallman. He says, you know, I, I was a feel hitter and it was all about feel for me. And I know there's other guys that go about it differently. There's different preparation that they do. That just, for him, it was all about the feel. I think that's Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill, anytime that you talk to him, he'll talk about how, like, I just, there, there are, I know what my pitch is going to be and I just have to be in the right mindset to be able to attack it. And, for most of the season, I don't think he was a confident hitter at the plate. 
So he would walk up there and he'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm working on this, the, my mechanics here. I've got to see this. And then by the time that he was at the plate, it, it's strike three and boom, we're going back to the dugout. And he doesn't even know what happened there. I think he's locked in right now and he feels confident and he's starting to see the results follow. And so this is when you should go on some sort of a sustained stretch where it's like, a, hey, for the next week, he hits 400 with three home runs. That's the kind of stretch that Tyler O'Neill is capable of. I just want to see it. I just want to see him be able to put that together. We've seen it for about a couple of weeks now where the power is back. Mm -hmm. Can you go on a stretch where you're carrying the offense like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have for much of the season? Because they're going to need that at some point. And I think Tyler O'Neill is capable. I just want him to I don't I want to see him prove it once again. I hear you, but I don't know that there's that much pressure on him to need to carry this offense because you have so many guys in this lineup. Like you talked about earlier, the depth here and the versatility of this lineup where different guys can do different things. I mean, you've got Donovan and Gorman, Gorman hitting for power, and you've got Donovan getting on base. Everyone has their different skill set that locks them into this lineup in a different way. And that's how the puzzle pieces all fall together. So for O'Neal, he doesn't really have to do that much because you have Arnato and Goldie in this lineup performing at elite levels. He really just needs to get in there and help the team if they're struggling offensively, you know, here and there. So again, not so much pressure, kind of like the Jack Flaherty situation. There's not so much pressure on them to need to go out there and save this team. You just need to stay within your, your comfort zone, what you do really well, and and they'll be successful. I don't know if it's so much of where I feel like I need him to where he's going to be that because of what you're talking about, where they got those guys. But I think it adds to me feeling more comfortable and have more belief in them reaching their ceiling. Then you'll of believe the in the Series. offense as a uh, as an identity for the <laughs> no, team. No, I still believe in the pitching as being the identity of the team. But I just think right now you're still looking for that five hole hitter against right handed pitching. And I think O'Neill, if he hits his stride and hits his ceiling, you saw what the results are next year. And, and I agree with Alexa. Look, I think can you get away with if O'Neill doesn't get being back to form? Can they still go on a run? Yeah, but I think I feel a lot more comfortable and feel better about this team if that third big bat is Tyler O'Neill and he gets back to form crushing right-handed pitching and hitting in that five spot cleaning up when Goldie and Arnato are on base by the way we talked about the National League at large and how, where the Cardinals fit into all of it earlier there's a big injury that was just announced by the Dodgers Tony Gonsolin is going on the injured list with a right forearm strain uh we hate to see it we've dealt with these here in St. Louis they don't typically it's end okay. particularly well. They get the forearm, then they get the elbow, and then it comes for the shoulder. And now suddenly you're talking about a year and a half later. And it's like, oh, God, still dealing with these issues. The Dodgers are an unbelievable baseball team. I want to say that on the front end. But again, I sometimes look at the players that are actually in their lineup or the pitchers that they're throwing out there as part of their rotation. And I say to myself, this is the team that is competing for the World Series. This is the team that everybody else is chasing. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what is happening there. I don't know what is in the water and how they're getting all of these starters to have sub three ERAs. But for whatever reason, it is working. At some point, there's got to be a breaking point, though, for them. And maybe this Tony Gonsolin injury is the one that ends up bringing them back to the pack a bit. The Cardinals need some kind of good fortune to go their way to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. The same thing is true for the Braves or the Mets, in my opinion, as well. I think the Dodgers are on their own. This is the type of stuff that could lead to that, where you say all year, Dodgers are the team to beat, and then you get to the playoffs, you say, ooh, that's not the same Dodgers team that we saw for much of the season. Uh, this is an injury worth keeping an eye on down the stretch. Yeah, Walker Bueller was the the bigger yep. one, and then now you got Gonsolin, and you're like, oh boy, that opens the door just a little bit. So Cardinals fans obviously never want to see anyone get hurt, but you could get a little bit excited about maybe the 
the pedestal that we put the Dodgers on is, you know, being cut down slightly in size. I'm not saying that everyone's now on the same level because of the Gonsolin injury, but it does it does even the playing field more uh, more so than than what you had before. So, I mean, little wins, tiny victories, yeah. Cardinals will take it, right? And this is how a team in the second tier, who we said earlier in the show, they moved into the second tier. This is how you end up not moving into the first tier, but this is how you take down a team that's in that first year. Look at the Braves Come last join year. us in the second tier, Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. We'd love to have we you. We have fruit drinks here. That's right. <laughs> fruit drinks. That's what you want with yeah, that? Yeah, you know, you know, it's an upgrade from tier three. You get like a soda. And tier two, you get like a pineapple drink that you okay. can have. Yeah, is it like a nice. pineapple mojito, or are we just yeah, drinking like Capri yeah. Suns over here? <laughs> yeah. no, you better put a splash sun. of alcohol Capri, for leveling up. <laughs> Capri Suns for the rebuilders. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's the Pirates down at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. With Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, Ali Marwell made a controversial decision yesterday uh, that nearly blew up in the Cardinals' faces. I loved the decision. I know a lot of you are not on that same wavelength. We'll talk about it coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, we're diving into the junk drawer with a big weekend for Alexa Dat here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Dad, who's filling in for Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to dive into the junk drawer. And Alexa, from what I understand, it was a rather eventful weekend for you. <laughs> Just a bit. Uh, I think the probably top storyline is that you went skydiving, and then you also <laughs> had something else that took place afterwards. What happened to you this weekend? I had the best day of my life on Saturday. So my boyfriend at the time, Andrew, turned 35 at the beginning of August, and he had talked about throughout our whole relationship that on his bucket list, he wanted to go skydiving. I've been before. I went with my dad 10 years ago, and I loved it. It was a thrilling experience. I was nerve-wracked the whole time, but once you finally jump out of the plane, it's euphoria. So I thought, okay, Let's surprise Andrew for his birthday and get him tickets to go skydiving. So I did that thinking super smart of me. Great surprise. Awesome birthday present. He'll remember this for the rest of his life. What I didn't realize was when I gave him those tickets, he then immediately started scheming to propose to me after we went skydiving. So and we're leaving for Italy on Thursday and we had talked about potentially getting engaged, getting married, all of that stuff. So in my mind as a girl, because I can never let anyone get away with anything, sure, yeah. I, I never want to be surprised. I want to know how it all is going to work out. I thought well, he's definitely doing it in Italy. So I'm preparing my outfits. I'm taking pictures <laughs> in the mirror and he's just looking at me because he knows what's going on. Like, oh, this poor, pretty little girl. Look at her just, you know, fixing up all her little outfits. So we get there to go skydiving and Andrew's nervous. And I'm like, deep breaths. You're going to be fine. Everything's going to play out well. When we got there. And you're three, thinking he's just terrified to jump out of a plane. That's right. And meanwhile, in his head, he's like, girl, you have no idea what's going yeah. on because I'm about to do two of the biggest things I've ever done in my life within like a 30 second span. So when we got there, our jump was originally at 330. We had to wait about three hours to jump. Oh, my God. So we go to lunch. 
he when we had got when we got there, he had handed his wallet off where the ring was in the wallet to the people there. So we go to lunch. He doesn't have his wallet on him. So I'm like, I got lunch. No, don't worry. It's your birthday lunch anyway. So I'll pay for it. That was so that was one thing that potentially could have gone wrong. If I looked at him like, hey, where was your wallet? Yeah. He, he was a little concerned about that. All these little things, these nuances that I found out later. So we come back from lunch and they're like, there's a mechanical issue with the plane. And of course, in his I'm like, oh, we could come back tomorrow. That's fine. In his mind, he's like, it has to be yeah. today. There is no other day. So I'm like, okay, all right, buddy. I get you're really excited about this. So yeah, we'll wait. So we wait around for two hours. We get to know the people there at Skydev STL. They're just salt of the earth. They're all helping us through the nerves. They're laughing and joking around with us, sitting around having great conversations. And it was a beautiful day. So they were also talking about that when we eventually did jump, which was around 630, that we would get the sunset dive, the golden hour, where the scenery was beautiful. The clouds were magical. So it, it set up even better than had we jumped earlier. So we get into the plane all harnessed up and I keep checking on Andrew. I keep tapping him because we're back to back and I'm like, are you okay? He's just looking at me like smiling and nodding kind of like, yeah, I guess. I don't really know. (laughs) Um, So I was really calm on the flight up. And then as soon as the plane door opened, I was like, nope, nope, we're not doing this. I'm not jumping out of this plane. This is a perfectly good plane. I'm having a great time right now. And Andrew looked at me and he was like, let's go. And I was like, okay. So he jumps first. Then I put my feet on the wing of the plane and look down. And I just was like, all right, we're doing it. So then I jump and you free fall for about 20 seconds. And it is the most exhilarating feeling you could ever have in your life. I'm terrified of heights. It sounds awesome. All of this sounds terrible. But, But the thing is, you can be scared of heights and still go skydiving because you don't have the depth perception to look at the ground and say, I feel like I'm going to fall to the ground because you're so high up. You're like miles in the sky. So you free fall for about 30 seconds, wind in your hair, you know, your cheeks are flapping all over the place. You're trying to look cool. You don't. Uh, And and then the parachute deploys and it's about a five minute ride down. It's just gorgeous. And you get to see the scenery is very quiet, serene. So as we're getting ready to land, I see Andrew, who had already landed, taking his harness off, waiting in this field. They detach me from the parachute and the instructor that I had jumped with. And I run over to him. I'm like, that was the most incredible thing ever. And he was like, yes, it was. He's like, there's just one more thing I have to do. And I said, I had to take this harness off first, though. And he goes, no, no, you don't. And he gets down on one knee and he says the most like the sweetest things possible that he looks at me as his family and that he's never been happier and he asked me to marry him and I said yes and then we get down on the ground we're rolling around in this field together he hired a photographer they took pictures of the whole thing we've got video and then they set up this picnic table where there were flowers chocolate champagne so we got to just decompose oh, that's cool. talk about the jump talk about the proposal all that stuff uh, afterwards so yes it was literally the best day of my so- life he had the ring with him when he jumped then? No. Or he so got he, it whenever he hit the ground because he so was there first, right? as soon as he hit right? the ground, they ripped his harness off of him, got the parachute and the instructor all off of him, and then he had handed them his wallet when he first got there. Gotcha. Which I didn't see because they were like, hand over all your stuff. Yeah. You can't be, in your po- can't be in your pockets. So that's where the ring was in the wallet. So when he landed, they ran over to him and gave him the ring. That's smart because yeah. I was thinking like, my luck. I was going to say, you'd be the guy that would oh keep it, and God. then the ring would go fly. I would have it in my pocket <laughs> or something. I would get midway through the air, and I would, like, for whatever reason, reach into my pocket, and now it's just falling down into the earth, and God only knows where it they ends up. They literally told him, we won't let you jump That's with smart. the ring. Because it would just ruin your day if something went wrong. So, 
when you had the delay on a scale of one to ten, how much was he freaking out? Freak. He was pacing. He was sweating. <laughs> I mean, he was holding it together as best he could. But in his head, not only is he preparing himself for the jump out of the plane, he's preparing himself for the speech afterwards yeah. with the adrenaline rushing through his body. So he's trying to compose himself, calm himself down to remember what he wants to say to me because he wanted to say something, you know, not just get down on one knee and say, will you marry me? So he wanted to have this, this speech prepared, which he actually... He, first said, I forgot everything that I was going to say. And then he took a deep breath and he composed himself and uh, was really uh, just an absolute gem. So kudos to him for shocking me beyond belief because I had no idea. The whole time I think he's just anxious about jumping out of the plane and it was a little more to it than that. That's amazing. So now for every uh, one of you that's listening right now, all you have to do is try to top jumping out of an airplane (laughs) and proposing to your girlfriend. That is now the bar that has been set for all of you that are still single out there. I'm just glad I'm not single. I don't have to worry about that anymore. (laughs) Tanner, good luck, buddy. Thanks, man. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how you top that. Maybe bungee jump, grab the ring when you come down and come back up. Steal it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That seems like a pretty good way to go about it. Here's You're my taking thing. the plunge. Just don't ever involve any animals, because then your that girlfriend's... Like it could go bad. Yeah, and your girlfriend's then engaged to that animal, not to you. Because That's the animal's delivering the ring. That's a really good point. Okay, so no animals. No animals. And I gotta somehow top jumping out of a plane. I mean, a ballpark's always a good idea. Some people hate uh, it. Oh, I would the, be public, the public yeah. p- portion of it's it. It's a lot. It's, it's a just lot. too much. On the Jumbotron with thousands of people maybe, watching. Maybe here's the idea. Maybe I bungee jump and I go down and on the way down when I'm strings all the way up and I'm getting ready to shoot back up. Like someone hands me the ring and I come back up. That's, boom. Land. Yeah, that's, that's not going to end well. That's, that doesn't <laughs> You're 100% dropping the ring and now you're like going up and down and trying to grab it every time. There's going to be some questions that are asked at that point. Congratulations, Alexa. Thank We're you. very happy for thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy yourself in Italy. That's yeah. a decent place to be able to celebrate your engagement. Just a bit. That'll Pretty be awesome. Cool. For Alexa Dett and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, uh, Tom Brady didn't seem like he had such a great weekend. We'll let you hear what he had to say. And I think that I am officially going to take a victory lap on this whole things aren't right with Tom Brady in about 15 minutes. But next, Ali Marmel made a controversial decision yesterday that nearly blew up in the Cardinals faces. I thought it was the right call. Didn't work out for him. How many of you disagree? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. certain days where you, you game plan and it works out exactly that way. I mean, we talked through it before that game. If it came to Swanson in the seventh, he was going to get Swanson and then get the meat of the order in the eighth, and we were going to close with Geo. And uh, Swanson got him. It's part of the game. All right, so this is a big moment in the game last night. It didn't end up losing the game for the Cardinals. They end up finding a way to come back. They win that game. Tyler O'Neill with a big three-run blast. They win it. So, All's well that ends well. However, I know many of you in our listening audience right now on 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Many of you were frustrated with the decision that Ollie Marmol made last night to go to Ryan Helsley in the top of the seventh inning. So let's set this up. It's the top of the seventh. You're winning at this point in time two to nothing. 
Adam Wainwright's been very good. Gives up a single early on in that inning to Eddie Rosario. He got a fielder's choice. Eddie Rosario is out at second. So you got a man on first. Harris hits a single. Grissom to second. And now you've got Grossman, who at the time we all knew. Tanner, I know we looked at each other, said, I think this is the last batter one way or another for Adam Wainwright. If he ends up getting a double play here, you're good to go. If not, they're probably going to the bullpen here. And then we just find out who they're actually going to go to in this spot. Grossman grounds into another fielder's choice. You've got Harris out at second. You got Grissom now at third. So you've got runners on the corner. You got one, uh, two outs, and you've got the top of the order coming up for the Atlanta Braves. What do you do? In that spot, for me, I do exactly what they did. I go to Ryan Helsley. You've got Swanson, Olsen, and then coming up, if you get that far, you've got Austin Riley. I want my best pitcher going up against the heart of the Braves order. And in a best-case scenario, if you're Ollie, the way you're hoping that that goes is this is the last time we're going to see the top of the order. So I'm not going to have to worry about them in the ninth or 10th or whatever. I'm going to win this game right here because I'm bringing in Ryan Helsley to shut the door on the Braves. Didn't work. They hit a homer. Dansby Swanson ends up giving the Braves a lead there. They're up 3-2, to two, and now everybody's thinking, oh, no, this blew up in Ollie's face. I liked the decision. Alexa, what did you think about the choice to go to Ryan Helsley in that spot? There is no other decision. He is your high leverage pitcher. And that was the highest leverage situation. Here's my thing. If you want to follow a team that has traditional roles and that the team is going to be managed that way, where there is one specific closer who is always in the game, shutting the door, your, your starter is always going to go six innings, your lineup is always going to look the same day in and day out. If that consistency is what you need as a baseball fan, the Cardinals aren't your team. So for this fan base to adjust to saying, okay, we're going to trust Ali Marmol, Skip Schumacher, the front office to be able to make these decisions. That's putting a lot of faith in obviously a first year manager but it's worked out really well so far this season. And there have been series that we've come out where, you know, they swept the Diamondbacks or beating the Cubs. We've come out saying there have been a lot of good pieces that we've seen from the Cardinals, from their pitching, from their bullpen, from their defense, from their offense. But the end result is Ali Marmol comes out looking like the MVP because of the decisions that he made, the guys that he put in positions to be successful, to get them those wins. So, yes, Helsley throwing a fastball right down the middle to a great fastball hitter. That's obviously not going to work. So he didn't locate it exa- where he wanted that pitch. But nine times out of ten, it's worked for Ryan Helsley this season, and it's worked for the Cardinals. So if you want ten out of ten, baseball is not your sport. That's just not how the game goes. For me, though, Ryan Helsley is the guy in that situation, and there there is no way to question it. Who else are you going to put there, and then who do you have coming out of the pen? And I get with Helsley, you want to be able to have him for the next game, but Ali already went to Helsley and said, are you available for back-to-backs? He already knew that in his back pocket. So because of that, he felt comfortable making that decision and uh, yes it didn't work out but it was the right decision at the time look I'm typically a traditionalist and usually that means I have the roles for the guys where so and so is the seventh so and so is the eighth so and so is the closer and he only pitches in the ninth when we're up by three or less I like that decision last night by Ali Marmol because that lineup for the Atlanta Braves that top four is loaded and if 
I see some text saying, well, you stick with Adam Wainwright. No, Wainwright was losing it fourth time through the order. I don't want to do that. I, I trust him to go three times through the order. Sometimes I'll pull him early there, but definitely not the fourth time. And he was he admitted showing some command issues. So I like the idea. Go into your high leverage arm. Go to Ryan Helsley there because he is the best option you have out of that bullpen. What I have understood, Gio, yeah, because I think you have two closers on this team. I know a lot of people say, well, Helsley's the closer. You shouldn't use him. No, you have two closers on this team. Giovanni Gallegos is a closer, and that's why you feel comfortable making that move with Ryan Helsley. He's the best reliever in that bullpen. Send him out there. And to BK's point, well, your goal is I don't want to see one through four again. And he didn't end up seeing one through four again. It just didn't work out with Ryan Helsley because, like Alex mentioned, he left that fastball over the middle of the plate. Swanson, great fastball hitter, took advantage of it. It's not the decision from Ollie that ended up costing the Cardinals. He played the card that he had, felt it was his ace in the hole, played it, turned out someone had a better hand, and that was Swanson with the home run. I thought he played that to perfection last night, and it ended up working out in the end for the Cardinals. And the majority of times this season when we've seen Adam Wainwright in games, because he doesn't have the velocity that he did earlier in his career, when you pair that with Helsley's velo, it's a difference in timing for a hitter. So if they've seen Adam Wainwright three times through the lineup, and then you've got this guy throwing 101 miles per hour, it can catch guys off guard. And we've seen that throughout the season. It obviously didn't work on Saturday, but that was the mentality going into it. So for me, I think that's the right mentality. I thought the pitch was the wrong call. Yeah. Like I thought going Agreed. to Helsley in that spot was absolutely 100%. Yeah, on the, a breaking ball. Going to Helsley there was the correct decision. Throwing a fastball right down the middle to a guy that hits fastballs very well that was the problem, and I know there's a lot of you on the text line right now, 65780, zero comfort service text line. There was not a uh, post-game show on Valley Sports Midwest, so I would imagine a lot of our listening audience did not get to hear this quote from Adam Wainwright, but we asked Adam Wainwright last night about being taken out in the seventh inning. Here's what he had to say about it, and no, he doesn't think he should have been staying in the game there either. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's times, Albert and I were talking about this a minute ago, uh, there's times where I look at him and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> crazy like do not even think about it but my command would started to waver a little bit you know and uh started getting some counts do i think i could have got him up yes i do yes i do but uh, i understand the decision and we bring in the best you know reliever in baseball so hard to argue it um hard to argue it didn't work out but process was good result wasn't but process was good when adam wainwright is saying that he agreed with the process and the process led to him leaving the game who am i to bicker with that I think that it was the right choice to take Wayno out. I understand that Wayno was really good, but he did his job. Mm-hmm. Adam Wainwright did his job last night. Now it's time for Ollie Marmel to do his. And he did it to the best of his ability. Yeah. And what ended up happening is baseball happened. <laughs> baseball happened. That's what it was. And your best guy got beat by one of their best dudes. And sometimes that's the way that these things work. But I do want Cardinals fans, to your point earlier, Alexa, to keep this in mind. You're going to get a spot like this in the playoffs. Yep. Ollie Marmel's going to manage the same way in the playoffs that he did yesterday. Just because it backfired on him in that specific spot does not mean that he's not going to make the exact same choice if he could do it over again in October. So if you're somebody that just vehemently disagrees with the way that some of these modern managers are using their bullpen, I'm really sorry. But as long as Ollie Marmel's in charge here in St. Louis, you're going to have to get used to it. And that doesn't make it right, wrong or indifferent. I, I like it. It's it's personally the way that I would manage a bullpen. But if you are vehemently disagreeing with it, I don't know what to tell you because this is the way that your team is now managing these games. It's different than it has been in the past. Mike Matheny certainly doesn't make that move. I don't think Mike Schilt makes that move yesterday. He was somebody that exclusively used his closer as a closer and save situations. This is different. And I think it's better. I think that you are using Ryan Helsley right now as a weapon coming out of your bullpen. 
I think you're using Helsley the way that you use Albert Pools. You save him for the highest leverage spot, and then you take your chances. Is Albert going to come up with a hit in every one of those spots? No. But more often than not, I like his odds against that lefty better than I like just about any other player in your team against lefties not named Arenado or Goldie. So they're using them correctly, and sometimes it doesn't work. Isn't that the point, though? You want your best matchups. Isn't that what baseball is all about? And Ali sees that. If you play well, you're in the lineup. If you're not, next guy up. That's the mentality of this team this year. They're trying to win. They are a contender for the World Series. And in that mentality, it's if you are playing well, you are going to be in the game. If not, we're going to find somebody else who can do it. And especially in the most important situations in the game, Ryan Helsley is a guy that you can count on. Why save him? For what reason? Because if you were to go with a guy maybe that you don't trust as much and the same result were to happen, you would look back and say, why was that the choice when you had Ryan Helsley in the bullpen? Right now, we could say, okay, Helsley was in there, but it doesn't work. But I still feel good about it because of what we've seen from Helsley. And every once in a while, it's not going to work. Rather than, I can't believe he went with a guy who doesn't have that high leverage experience or confidence from his manager that doesn't seem like the fit for that role. And Ali backed it up completely by saying, listen, I'm going to go with that guy every time. If that's the situation that I'm put in, I'm going to make sure that, that Helsley's in there in those high leverage situations. How many people do you think would have said something? Because I, I like what you said there, Lex, about, well, if you go to, like, let's say, Gio in that, ex- that example, and Gio gives up the three-run shot and it's not Helsley, and then you end up losing the game. I, how many people do you think, because I know we would question it, because we've talked to Ollie, we've we've heard him say behind the scenes, hey, yeah, it's got to be highest leverage spot, my highest leverage re- reliever, and Ryan Helsley. I don't know if we'd be hearing a lot about that today. I don't know if we'd hear a lot Wayne of that. I think Wayne knows who most people wanted to see. I, the, the vast majority of our texters, like if it went wrong because they took out their dude, they would say you should have left Adam Wainwright into the game. And I just disagree. I, I think Wayno had shown signs in that inning of, of cracking. I don't think that he had the same stuff that he had early on in the game. And again, he was at 100 pitches. He had thrown at that point in time six and two thirds and he had not given up a run yet. He did his job. Yeah. Everything you needed Adam Wainwright to do in that game, he had done. And now it's time for him to hand things over to the bullpen and for your best guys to get the final outs. And guess what? That's what they did. Now, it didn't go exactly as expected, but Ryan Helsley goes out there, gives you one and a third, ends up giving up just that home run, and then after that, shuts the door on him. Giovanni Gallegos gives up just one hit, one inning, no earned runs. Shut the door on the Braves with the best arms that you have available to you coming out of the back end of your bullpen. And now your offense goes to work. And they did exactly that. They were able to keep it close enough to where you can keep things going and offensively you win the game for yourself. But Adam Wainwright did his job. Ollie Marmel knew that. And now you go to your best guy in the best possible spot for him. I just, I disagree that you keep Wayno in that spot. I think there have been times this year that Ollie has stuck with Wayno a little too long, honestly. And last night he decided not to do that. He goes to his best dude. I'm going to give him full credit for it. He's been saying all year, this is the way that I'm going to use this guy. And I think they played it safe for most of the season because they want to keep Ryan Helsley healthy for games like that. Yeah, exactly. And now that you've got those opportunities available to you, now's when you start doing it. Let's find out what Helsley looks like in those spots. I don't want to find out in October. Actually, this is too much for him. He just needs to know what his role is. I want to find that out now. And I don't think last night was a matter of him being in a bad situation for himself or anything like that. This year, when he's in a uh, non-save situation, he has a sub-one ERA. When he has a save uh, save situation, also a sub-one ERA. <laughs> the guy's unbelievable no matter when he pitches because he's an awesome pitcher. Just 
it, it blew up in their face last night. That's what happens sometimes. Welcome to baseball. That's With right. Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, the Cardinals have announced themselves as a legitimate contender. Are you buying into the hype right now after they've won 23 of their last 30? We'll get into that at 130. Want to hear from some of you guys on the mic drop feature over on the 101 ESPN app. But next, man, Tom Brady sounds tired. I get it. He's 45. But this sounds strange. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You can see her on Valley Sports Midwest pre and post game coverage for the Cardinals games this week. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. So, Alexa, I don't know how much you've been following this Tom Brady story, but he decided to retire earlier in the offseason. Decides, you know what? Actually, I'm going to go ahead and come back. And then midway through training camp, he's like, mm, no, I'm 45. I'm just going to take the next 10 days off. He basically took your trip to Italy, but, you know, <laughs> in the middle of training camp. And then he gets back and there's been all of these different conspiracy theories as to what he was doing while he was gone. I still believe he's on the mass singer. Here's Tom Brady explaining what the last week and a half was like for him and why he decided to take some time away from the team, you know, in the middle of training camp. It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with. So we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, uh, you know, I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of going on, so. You know, you just got to try to figure out life the best you can. And, um, you know, it's a uh, continuous process. So, Alexa, Tom Brady sounds broken. I don't know if you saw the video of him, but he also. Listen, man, Belichick here, okay? I'm the last one to judge an individual based on their appearance. But he looks like maybe there was some Botox that had been going on. Maybe had a long week or two in the sun. He didn't look right. He did not look healthy, honestly. I don't know what's going on with Tom Brady right now. I'm not worried about the Buccaneers because of their division. I'm starting to question if Tom Brady wants to play football this year, though. And if he's not all in, not all invested, it kind of takes away Tom Brady's superpowers the way that he's been the last few years. Where where are you at on Tom Brady? I think that... Wait, wait. So you need Tom Brady to be front row every film session... To be participating in all of the drills, all of the walkthroughs in preseason when the dude has won seven Super Bowls. I, I need him to be at training camp. Like, you why? don't even got to. T- why? He's the best player on the yeah, planet. Sure. Let the dude live. No, that's, he's got a li- He's 45 years old. He's totally got a life. He's you. got a wife and kids. Yeah, man, he's doing his thing. I don't think Tom wants to play football. He could show up in week six, and I'd be like, he's the quarterback, would, and he's going to win the, the I think Super that's Bowl. what Gronk's going to do. I think Gronk is like, I don't want to play the first six weeks of the season. I'll be there in November when you guys need me. Preseason. We're talking about I'm, preseason. Preseason? You want to talk about preseason? PK, I'm disappointed. No, 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 no. Trust you got me. the greatest quarterback of all time just going through some some summer fun. Whatever it is he's doing, whether he's under the needle, whether he's, you know, out on vacation with his family, who cares? It's not even, the season hasn't even started yet. Talk to me when he starts missing games. Otherwise, he can do whatever he wants, Tom Brady. I'm with you in general. But when you start thinking about retirement, Sometimes what happens with these guys, you've seen this before, Alexa. Sure. 
is you get it in your head of like, do I really want to go through the preparation? Because the games are easy for these guys, especially for somebody like Tom Brady. Like if he wants to go play a game on Sunday, he's good to go. He's ready. With his eyes closed. 100%. But it's the preparation that becomes just exhausting because it is repetitive. It is monotonous and it is time consuming. And you got to go through 17 weeks of it to get to the part of the season that Tom Brady enjoys. I don't think Tom Brady wants to do it anymore. And I think at this point, he's just like, I already committed. I guess I've got to be here. I am worried that he got himself into a situation that he doesn't want to be a part of anymore. And I understand I'm with you. Does preseason matter for Tom Brady? Not a lick. He probably wasn't going to take any snaps anyways. Yeah. I am worried about his level of commitment to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. I think he's in an open relationship with the Bucs and he wants out and he doesn't know how to get out of the situation that he's currently in. And I do think that it is going to show itself on the field at some point. At some point, this is going to catch up with Tom Brady. He can't keep getting away with this at 45. <laughs> this dude has been more committed to football than any of us in this room have ever 100%. been committed to anything. So for you to question his his desire to play football is wild but to I've me. I've never done that before ever, he's ever never in the desired, history of Tom Brady's he's career. He's never desired anything more than he desires his football career. He is more loyal to football than he he has been to anything else in his life and it's not even close. But does that sound like a guy that is loyal to football right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because because <laughs> oh, he cuz it's the preseason and nobody media, cares. Man. He's a five-time Super Bowl MVP. What I, are you talking about? I can't wait till they play Sunday night football to kick off the season again at Dallas taking on the Cowboys. Oh, Dallas stinks too. I can't so wait fair. till Tom throws for like 250 yards, three touchdowns, BK is still going to be like not committed, man. Didn't touch 300. Didn't touch 300 yards. If they yards, start the season committed. one and three, what's the talk going to be? Because listen to the schedule. At Dallas, who I, I will talk about them here in a second. At New Orleans, who has had Tom Brady's number. Dennis Allen, for whatever reason, I don't know what they're doing in New Orleans, but defensively, they've got something that frustrates Tom Brady in that Bucks offense. And then they take on the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, that last one's an easy dub. Okay. <laughs> that is not an easy schedule. You could... It, it is conceivable that they start the year one and three. And if that happens, are you guys going to be on my side or are you going to say, ah, tough schedule? It had nothing to do with him being away from the team and maybe he's, not being fully invested. He's a second half performer, man. You need to relax. Mm-hmm. I know you're calling for Blaine Gabbert. Don't you know? You know <laughs> I'm not doing that. Because he went to Mizzou. It's fine. Yeah, when, I, I think it will be serious concern. But I, until I actually see them go one and three, I'm not too worried about it. Would you rather have half prepared Tom Brady in that role or, Jared or, Goff. or a fully prepared backup quarterback. So they could get Jimmy G now. I, I, I would always rather have Tom Brady, like whatever level of confidence you've got. Give me the Tom Brady. But for years, I learned my lesson on Tom Brady like seven years ago. It was that Falcon Super Bowl. Once he won that, I was like, this dude could play until he's 60. And I'm always going to believe he's a Super Bowl favorite. Just pick him at the beginning of the season. And more often than not, you're going to be right. Sure. This is the first time since then that I have seriously wondered if Tom Brady is invested. I'm wondering, are you a perfect human? Do you never have ish going on at your home? <laughs> because I feel like we all have a lot of ish going on at our home. So for Tom Brady to come out and be super relatable to the fans, to the people who have watched him. I'm worried about my guy Tom. To this, I'm worried about him. Ascend to this pedestal where we have him as the, as the goat. And now he's just throwing us a bone being like, you know what? Sometimes I am kind of like you guys because 
his diet and his training is all like otherworldly. You know, the guy doesn't eat uh, avocados. Yeah, it's just like, or only eats that, whatever the yeah. avocado situation is, right? He doesn't eat tomatoes because they can cause inflammation. That's like, right. Really? See, <laughs> see, that's why I avoid see, him too. He has not been relatable except for right now where he is like, I got so much stuff going on. And we're all like, yeah, man, we feel you, Tom Brady. <laughs> the only time that I felt like I'm on the same level as Tom Brady is when we don't have our ish together. So. A team that really doesn't have its stuff together right now is the Dallas Cowboys. Big news over the weekend. Their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith, is likely out for the season with a knee injury. Alexa, they are now starting a rookie at left tackle. They got rid of their starting right tackle from last year. Lyle Collins is now in Cincinnati. Their offensive line was already a concern, even with Tyron Smith, who was a perennial all-pro, Pro Bowl level type of a player. Oh, by the way, Michael Gallup likely missing the first few weeks of the season. James Washington out for a little while. Jalen Tolbert is maybe your number two wide receiver as a rookie this year. Sounds like I shouldn't have taken Dak on my fantasy team. <laughs> Zeke Elliott, we never know if he's going to be 100% going into the season. And the Dallas Cowboys start to the season is Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. Then you've got the Cincinnati Bengals at home at the Giants, home against Washington, and then at LA with the Rams and at Philly against the Eagles. Are the Cowboys at risk of falling into a situation where they're not even going to make the playoffs this year after all these injuries that they've been dealing with? No, no way. I don't, I don't love that schedule, but they play in the NFC East and I'm a Washington commanders fan. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. (laughs) So when, and I've seen that division time and time again, I hate the Dallas Cowboys, but they're, they're going to be in contention to win the division time and time again. Who, who are you trusting that division? The Giants? He's a big Eagles I, fan. I trust the Eagles. My guy I mean, Jalen Hurts. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. That, so That is concerning. I'm not going to lie. So the Cowboys <laughs> will compete with the Eagles for the division. That That's, that's some good competition, but it, it's not like... You know, that doesn't really scare me if I'm a Cowboys sure. fan. I'm feeling pretty good about winning the division. Once the division is won, though, after that, then then it starts to get a little hairy in the postseason. But getting there, I think it's a it's a cupcake walk for them. Yeah, I still think they're a playoff team. I, are they in danger of missing the playoffs? Maybe. I'm not going to go that far yet because I, I think they win the division still. I'm not sold on one. I don't think Washington's good. I don't think New York's good. And then I look at the Eagles. I'm not sold on them. Like, look, I like the weapons they have. But I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts, and that's the most important position to have in the NFL. And they have Cowboys, they may miss maybe missing a lot of weapons, but I trust Dak Prescott. So I think Dallas can get away with it until they get healthier. It may be one of those where they win the division, they're like nine and eight, and they end up going on to win the division. I think they still make the playoffs. Am I concerned for the beginning of the year? Yeah, mostly because Dak's on the fantasy team. Uh, other than that, though, <laughs> I don't have too many concerns. I think once they get healthy, they'll start playing better, and that's when I think they really run away and go win that division. The NFC is a disaster going into the season, man. The I mean, Packers it was a disaster have... last year. The Giants were four and thirteen. What are we talking about? The Eagles were nine and eight. The Dallas Cowboys were undefeated within the division because the division is not good, not because the Cowboys are some super team, totally, but because they just don't have competition. And this year it extends like beyond just the NFC East, but to the whole conference. Yeah. The, the Packers are now missing Devontae Adams, which is no small thing, and then replaced him with like 
a couple of rookies in Sammy Watkins. So we'll see how that one goes for them. The Rams have a quarterback who might or might not have an arm that is attached to his body <laughs> by the start of the regular season. I think you're the running backs are hard. Why don't you just bring it all up while you're there? The Cardinals have a broken marriage that they decided to have a kid to try to save. So that's going to go super well for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And, and the, the Bucks 49ers- have a quarterback who's just who's not, not paying committed. attention. Exactly. He's not committed. And the oh, 49ers God. have a quarterback that is a rookie that I think could be good in Trey Lance, but I have no idea what he's going to look like this year i'm out on the cowboys but the rest of the nfc also has so many questions for me that i'd like could the cowboys make the playoffs at 11 and 6 absolutely oh yeah i could sure. see it yeah but as of today i think that they end up missing i think they're like a nine and eight type of a team and somebody emerges from the nfc who that's going to be man i don't know that's where you throw all of your long shot bets on could but the eagles make it made it last year at nine and eight yeah i i think somebody you else say nine emerge. and eight and out I think the Vikings could be that team. 49ers, maybe. I don't know where it comes from, but somebody will end up surprising in the NFC. And that's where, again, you got a long shot bet you like, go ahead and bet them in the NFC because that's the place where it's coming from, not the AFC this year. Yeah. In 15 minutes, we're in the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, I want to hear from you guys on the mic drop feature. How much are you buying into what we've seen from the Cardinals? We have now seen them in three big-time series against the Brewers, the Braves, and the Yankees. They end up winning all of those how are you feeling about this team after seeing them compete against the best of the best? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Playoff teams, especially World Series winning teams. There's no lead that's safe. Leans into this. Out to left. Gone into the bullpen. Cardinals check in with a two-run home run. Big chopper. Softly hit. This game is tied. Swanson has to eat it. And we're even at five. This game is over. A ninth inning come from behind. Walk-off win for the Cardinals. We're pretty good about where we're at. We are taking it one series at a time. This was a step in that direction. Uh, our goal is to be the last team standing, and um, we got to beat teams like the one we just beat in order to do that. we got all the ability in the world, too, to beat with those guys over there to be for a World Series championship as well, so that's what we intend to do. That audio courtesy of ESPN last night with Alexa Dat and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll have to rewind in about five minutes or so. Alexa, the Cardinals have won 23 of their last 30 games. That's the second best winning percentage in Major League Baseball over that stretch behind only the Dodgers. They're second in baseball, again, behind only the Dodgers with six runs per game and their ninth in runs allowed in this stretch. They're playing excellent baseball start to finish pitching defense. You've got the offense going now with a bunch of dudes that are contributing in a big way. I'm buying in. I think they are a legitimate contender at this point. After what we've seen from them against the Brewers, the Yankees, and now the Braves over the weekend, it's hard for me to say to myself, okay, yeah, they're doing this against the Cubs, the Reds, the Pirates, all these other teams that are kind of in the doldrums of the National League. Once you start doing it against the big guys, it's hard for me to second guess or question what you're accomplishing I think the Cardinals are firmly in that second tier in the National League. I've got the Dodgers at the top, and then I think it is the Cardinals with the Mets and the Braves, and all of them are contending right now with the Dodgers to try to be that team that can beat, or the team to beat, rather, in the National League. Where are you at on the Cardinals after what we've seen from them in their last 30 games? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. The second tier, I mean, we're really putting the Dodgers high up on the pedestal, but on paper, they've earned it. The injuries, though, do concern me for them with Bueller and Gonsolin, and you don't have Kershaw. So where are your weapons coming from? There, You have a couple of no-names there in the rotation, but your offense is, is clutch, your bullpen's great, and they, they play good defense, so... Is there any concern that they're this year's San Francisco Giants? Remember last year, all year long, the Giants were clearly the best team in the National League. Then we got to the playoffs and I was like, does anybody actually believe in the Giants or did they just win 106 games and we're all going to look at them like, "Ah, no, they're not the real team. Could the Dodgers, is it possible the Dodgers are that this year? I would say no, only because the San Francisco Giants did it with an older roster of guys who had come to the team and were kind of performing above their their level that they normally performed at. And it was more of like a a freak situation for the Giants, whereas the Dodgers, these guys perform year in and year out. I mean, they're the team that's the runner-up in the World Series uh, time and time again, and then they obviously uh, ended up getting there. But I can see the parallel. I get where where you're going with that. Um, but I just I think they're they're so good on paper that it's going to translate to the postseason way more than it does for the Giants. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're like the Giants because all year I doubted the Giants, and I haven't doubted the Dodgers. Like I know you look on paper and it's like Gonsolin, that's really a guy I'm going to go up against in the playoffs. Of course, not now because he's injured. But same with Anderson, those guys. I think if anything, they're just going to be like what they were last year, where it was the whole time I knew the Dodgers were a really good team, and then injuries ended up biting them. They end up their pitching ends up breaking in the playoffs. I think that's where I would view them, but. I, I do think after this weekend with the Cardinals, I think they the peak for the Cardinals without Jack Flaherty, if Jack Flaherty comes back and he's not himself, is that second tier. I, I, I said that going into the weekend. I was going to be judging him like, hey, this is what this team's ceiling is once you without Jack Flaherty. Now, the, the ceiling to me can change, not to where they're going to be in Tier 1. I don't think there's any chance they can get into Tier 1 by the end of the season. But I do think they can become the top team in that second tier, in my opinion. When Jack Flaherty comes back, if he's pitching really well, the way that they were able to perform without him over this weekend against the Atlanta Braves and how the offense was able to have those comeback ability in them this this series against the Braves and how Ollie managed the bullpen and how what I saw he was going to do in a playoff-type uh, series, I think there's a chance when you get Jack Flaherty back, there's a chance this team could be the top team in Tier 2, in my opinion. It probably won't say that in record-wise, but I think there's a chance that you could be saying that. But definitely, they belong in Tier 2 after this weekend, taking down a great team on the Atlanta Braves. Is there anything they can do down the stretch to say that they're in the same conversation as any of these teams? Like, is it possible that by the end of the season, we're going into the playoffs saying, yeah, the Cardinals are every bit as good as the Dodgers? Yeah, when they move up, when they're that second seed. Because that's going to be closing the gap. What's What did you say, seven, seven and a half games? Mm-hmm, seven and a half. If you're able to do that, which is doable with your schedule down the stretch but if you're able to move up to be able to get a buy in the postseason and you are the two teams with the buy then that's saying something now you're saying you're in that elite category but until then when you're hosting a wild card it's a little different you're in that second tier still yeah i'm not sure if you can get up to where the dodgers are just because the dodgers like looking at them on paper there i mean they're just unbelievable they're getting unbelievable contributions from guys that we've talked about like thompson that you don't expect to be a guy that would be in their everyday lineup I don't know if you can get to the level of the Dodgers, but I do think you can get to where people look at you and say, I think they match up well with the Mets. We've seen already just this weekend they match up well with against the Braves. I think you look at them to where they can get up to that. I don't I don't believe they'll get to that second seed, but I think you could see going into the playoffs where you say, hey, that rotation's pitching really well. That offense is pretty deep. Yeah, they can compete with the New York Mets once you get into that second round. I think what they did against the Yankees, the Brewers, and the Braves is what got them into the second tier. 
Like that for me, it wasn't about winning three out of five against Chicago or sweeping the Diamondbacks or the Rockies. Like all of that's great, and you need that to be able to build this record, but that's not what gets you up into the next tier. For me, it was what they did against quality opponents. So I think it's going to go down to that last uh, road trip that they have at San Diego, at L.A., at Milwaukee. In that eight-game stretch, if they're able to win like six of them, and I know that's lofty expectations, but that's what it would take for me. If they can do that, then maybe I think I'm willing to have the conversation of, okay, are we sleeping on the Cardinals as not just being a good team, but potentially being a great one that is every bit on the level of the Dodgers, the Mets, anybody else you want to throw out there? That's what they're going to have to do, though. It's not about anything they can do, honestly, for the next like four weeks. The next month is a whole lot of Cincinnati, the Cubs, Washington, <laughs> Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati again. You're not going to prove a whole lot there to jump up tiers. That's keeping your floor, and then you can raise their, your ceiling for me once you get into that San Diego, L.A., Milwaukee stretch once again. I also think when you look around and when you look at the Padres and you see Josh Hader struggling oh, mightily boy. right now, Against I mean, that Royals. trade was like the worst possible thing for Josh Hader. He's got a 12 ERA since joining that Padres mm. staff. You go, okay, Cardinals look a little bit better because they got Jordan Montgomery and Jose Quintana who, and Chris Stratton, who all look great since coming to St. Louis. And Josh Hader just looks like a totally different person. That 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 puts you in a, in a little bit different of a category where you start to weigh how guys received the news of coming to, to your team and, and the different level of play that they took their game to. With Alexa Dat, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sadat and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Auto Centers, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. Alexa, huge thanks to, uh, for you, to you rather, for coming in today. It's been awesome. I know it was a crazy weekend for you, so thanks for spending some of your time with us today. BK, thanks for having me, Tanner. You too. It was an awesome show. You guys always bring the heat, so I love uh, hopping on. I, I, it means a lot. It was awesome. Thank you. Uh, Tanner, great work today, man. We've got Carrie Davis in studio with us tomorrow, yeah. Wednesday and Thursday. I'm questioning Alex's commitment to our show <laughs> after taking off a full week in the middle of the Cardinals season. <laughs> On Friday, I believe that we've got Brooke Grimsley in with us. So... Yeah, we've got Brooke on Friday, Carrie the next three days. Lots of stuff for you guys between now and then. Coming up from 2 to 6 is the Fast Lane. For Alexa and Tanner, I'm Brandon. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.